This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on this side. Happy Thursday. Oh, it's happening. Hey, and by the way, this is not just any Thursday. This is pizza with the works, except anchovies day. What exactly is happening? What do you mean? You're like, it's Thursday. Yeah. And then the whole it's happening thing, like there's something happening. It's happening. What's happening? Thursday? Thursday's happening? Life is passing. Are you excited for something Uh because it's Thursday? I'm excited, yes, because it's one day closer to Friday. Which is isn't a, every day one cl- one day closer to Friday? Yeah, but Wednesday th- is the hump day. Yes. So now we're at Thursday. Okay. So it's downhill. Like not negatively. It's yeah. but we're on the downhill slide right into the weekend. It's happening. <laughs> hey, here's the deal. So I was gone a couple days, but guess what I did? You will not believe this. So cool. I toured. Fenway Park. Well, seeing as I knew you were in Boston, I sat on that's the not green a big monster, stretch. and I took batting practice in the Red Sox batting cage did, underneath Fenway Park. Did you actually hit? Any I of hit. The balls I hit. Okay, about five good hits out of ten. Oh, nice! And then, but I connected with everything but one. One I fanned. Was it? Did you get any warning track power, or more just like no. second base? No, that no, no. It was the awesome. pitcher's mound? No, I Just, fanned it. I whoosh. Okay. But a lot of my shots, I'll, I've got video. Oh, really? We ought to post it. We ought to. We'll post it on my Twitter feed. Taking batting practice. I'm telling you. I missed my calling. I probably should have played for the Red Sox. Really? Now, how many pitches? <sighs> ten. Ten pitches, and you hit how many? I hit eight or nine. Out, nine out of ten. Nine out of ten? Well, I, I probably fouled four. Okay. And then I... But, you know, you're just checking the pitcher at that point. Well, these were 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Well, no, they weren't, but, yeah. They're not well, gonna it felt put, like it. They're not going to put you in there at 100. They put you at 60, you're going to feel like it's 100. Yeah, no, they put me in at probably 90. It felt like 100. <laughs> tons, of, tons of cool stuff. Tim Wakefield, I met him. He signed a ball for me. Oh, the nice. great knuckle baller. Uh-huh. Throws <sighs> the, the weirdest pitch in baseball. The weirdest pitch ever pitched in baseball. It has no spin. No, it's it, spinless. It just sort of floats they right They should have called you. him Spinless Tim. <laughs> He's a cool guy. He spoke to us. That's cool. What else? Uh, Did you so wear I, a hat? Did it make you put the batting helmet on? I, yeah, I wore an official. I wore of... the batting helmet. I wore, with one ear, cut out, okay. batting helmet from the Boston Red Sox. Any sort of like forearm and, and no, shin guard no, body armor? I was armor. wearing a sweater and a nice shirt. And... Some of those guys get up there and it looks like they're ready for oh. a football game. No, I, I mean, I don't want to, again... I I missed my calling. Okay. I could have been, I don't know, probably second base. Really? Yeah, played a lot of ball. There's a lot of athleticism there. Oh, you no. could be first base where you just expected uh-uh. to stand there and be a target. When you see me hit, I, there's athleticism oozing. Okay. Ha! <laughs> anyway, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Hey, in a few minutes we're going to be talking with David Strayer, Dr. David Strayer. Uh, Siri, you use Siri? Yeah, She, she your do. girl? She your gal? Mainly just to set timers. Yeah. Ben, I was going to ask Ben a car question, but he doesn't have a car. Last night I asked Siri, what is the point of you? 
What did she say? Uh, what are you good at? And it says something like, I'm sorry, let me make it up to you or something. Wow. She seems desperate. Yeah. I basically say 30-minute countdown when I'm running my sprinklers during the uh, the winter oh, or the summer. Me. I'd better turn my water off. Yeah, me off. too. Mine's we got like two on. inches of snow. Hey, um, we're going to be talking about hands-free devices because, you know, they make your car so much safer. Allegedly. I mean, you've got Siri, you've got Microsoft Cortana, Mazda 6 pretty much does everything but make your breakfast, which is fantastic. Uh, Apple, Siri, Google Now, all of these devices that can now integrate with your car and they basically do everything for you. They, they can find your music. They can help you do your Google Maps. Obviously safer, right? It's the idea. No. So while you're driving – Keep your hands on the wheel. Just listen to us, and we're going to show you how close to death you really are. <laughs> it's really – it's quite scary actually because one of the cars I've been looking at buying apparently is one of the most dangerous. One of the death traps, huh? It's a death trap, <laughs> which is which is bad because it, now we're going to be too distracted, which is funny because that's what we're talking about in the first hour. The second hour, we're going to be talking about ADD and ADHD. Yes. The two seem to go together. A little bit, Yes. And maybe it's because we have all of these devices where our cars now do everything for us. But our guest, basically, you won't believe this. He says it's like trying to use one of these um, voice-activated systems and all of the tools in your car. It's like balancing your checkbook while you're driving. Okay. Which is amazing because I don't even balance a checkbook. Absolutely. That's that bad. That's uh, that's interesting. I I feel as the way I use mine, I feel I just you know turn on whatever I'm going to listen to and drive and don't even worry about it until oh, I stop no. the car. See, that's what I've been looking for is a car that does the lane thing. So if I change lanes, it'll tell me if someone's if I'm about to hurt somebody. You don't want to look. No, and then it'll okay. slow down if the car in front of me is stopping. I want my car to pretty much drive me. Hmm. Holy cow! That was another part of Boston. So I got picked up. I'm not to brag, but I had a car service. Guess what car they pulled it up was, in? It was Uber. It was, it was, it was the nothing coolest. Nothing special. So normally you get one of these Lincoln Town car things, yeah. you know? No. A BMW 750. Ooh. Wow. And that's what they're using. All over Boston. This, this company has a fleet of BMW 750s. Hmm. Awesome. Did you ask them to floor it? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go fast. And my guy was crazy. But he awesome. got you there. He totally got me there. In one piece. Boston is a great place. I saw Paul Revere's home for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? Paul Revere's home. Hmm. He had 16 kids, I think. You think? Yeah, it's messed up. Wow. No wonder he kept writing. That's right. I'm not going home. There's <laughs> 16 kids there. Anyway, cool stuff. I can't remember half their names. Boston is a gem of a, for our country. Holy cow. I'm moving to Boston. I don't know. I think I miss my calling. I'm a little down. Because I should probably be playing pro ball. Really? You think that was... There's a lot of 46-year-old pro ball players. Oh, there's not. I don't know. A lot of coaches that are 46, but... If you could see me hit, you'd be amazed. Mm, uh, I have my doubts. Fantastic. Hey, um, we're going to go to the headlines now. Terry, you got any headlines for us around the world? I do. Thanks, Matt. On Tuesday evening's Republican debate brought in a total of 13.5 million viewers in prime time for the Fox Business Network. Although that view- viewership fell short of the 14 million who watched CNBC's October debate, the figure shattered previous records for the fledgling cable network created eight years ago. 
to be the sister channel for Fox News. So they had record-setting night. The Fox Business Network debate was watched by 13 million, as we just said, making it the least-watched debate yet. <laughs> Those numbers fall in line with the trend of declining viewership over these debates. So it was both a record-setting night and a disappointment because the <laughs> viewership was lower than I the previous I think people one. are getting burnt out. I think so. I think there's too many, and Which there's already good. too many. Some will start dropping out, hopefully. FanDuel and DraftKings... Two uh, online betting services that we have spoken of here. The two leader, oh, excuse me, they're fantasy. Yeah, they're not fantasy. They, they've yet to be proven to be gambling organizations. The two leaders of the fastest growing daily fantasy sports market are vowing to fight efforts by the Newark Attorney General Eric Schneiderman to shut them down on grounds that they're operating an illegal sports betting operation. Schneiderman sent a, the companies a cease and desist letter on Wednesday ordering them to quit operating in New York. He called the industry a multi-billion dollar scheme intended to evade the law and flee sports fans across the country. FanDuel Chief Executive Nigel Eccles on the decision. We're a legal game. We feel the AG office has taken a very extreme and very sudden position that New Yorkers are not capable of making their own decisions when it comes to playing fantasy sports. The industry has five days to persuade Schneiderman to defer legal action. Police say a shooter aiming his gun at St. Luke's Hospital in San Francisco was shot to death on Wednesday. The unidentified man climbed to the sixth floor of a construction site, pointed one of his two guns at the hospital, firing off at least one round before he was fatally hit. No injuries were reported. The man who wore white coveralls and appeared to be in his late 20s climbed to the top of the site after robbing a sporting goods store with a handgun about 10 miles away. Uh, reports of police. The man then stole one of the store's shotguns and ammunition shells before escaping. The man's motives were immediately not clear. On a lighter note, considering the fact that presidential candidates are being asked if they would kill ba- baby Hitler, have you heard? Have you seen these yes, stories? Unbelievable. So Jeb Bush says he would. would. You abort ben Carson baby says Hitler. absolutely not. I would not abort any child. <laughs> Kind of no mid- child left behind. Missing the the point of the question, I think. Wow. Uh, but they keep changing their stories about stabbing people or whichever. It came to no real surprise that Donald Trump is accusing someone else of having bad hair. Uh, yeah. Uh, Bernie. No. On Wednesday, Trump appeared on a conservative radio show and asked, and asked the host, had he noticed that Hillary's new hairstyle? Have you seen her new hair? The, the Hill reports, the host called it a wig. Trump replied, it really was shocking to see it. You're right. It must be a, a wig. Wow. It was massive. Her hair became just huge. Others posted online headlines like human or synthetic and the wig party were some other articles <laughs> that were put out there. If anyone knows the truth about Clinton's hair, it's her hairdresser, Santa Nichols. Huh. Owner of the magical sounding Santa's Hair Salon in Chappaqua, New York. Nichols told people directly that it's not only Clinton's real hair, but it's the most amazing hair in the world. He oh, go- my living. He goes on to say that she's going to be president. Why are we talking about our candidate's hair? And why is why – is he? that just shows you how he speaks before he thinks. Trump? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> – Did you see your hair? What's going on? Don't bring it up, man. Since you have your own hair issues. Jeez. Oh, well. Okay. That the news? Well, that's part of the. Is that news. as good as it gets? You that's got, good. No, that's good. That's you, good. You, you got baby Hitler. You have uh, a, a, a candidate who's trying to convince people he stabbed somebody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everyone's saying, "I don't think you did this," and right. I, I don't think you stabbed somebody. He's like, "No, really, I stabbed somebody." Now vote for me. No, seriously, I stabbed him bad. <laughs> so these are the hard hitting issues that we're we're covering candidates for president. You know, it's happening though. Slowly, it just seems like. People are getting a little more into it as as far as knowing who they want, moving on, getting her done. 
<sighs> Luckily, we've only got one more year of this, folks. One more year to choose your new president. Hey, um, coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. David Strayer will be joining us. Uh, he is a um, professor of cognition and neuroscience at the University of Utah. He's going to be walking us through the um, the actual realities that come with car voice-activated systems, right? You should be able to now tell your car to find whatever, you know, create, do a map to this location, you know. You should be able to run your car just by voice. But uh, it's not as easy as you think, and it's probably a lot more distracting than you'd ever believe. <sighs> we'll be talking about all these voice-activated systems and your driving safety. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the latest trend in car technology has been the rollout of voice-activated systems. These systems allow drivers to make phone calls, get directions, send text text messages, play music, and much, much more. It sounds like the best of both worlds, right? The ability to maintain safe driving while communicating with your friends, controlling your car settings. I mean, you shouldn't even have to take your hands off the wheel, right? However, several safety advocates are saying that car makers have a financial incentive to push these systems, and they are not as safe as they claim to be. Research has shown that the new systems are actually dangerous and causing more distracted drivers. And we have joining us today on the phone Dr. David Strayer, a lead researcher in the AAA study of cognitive distraction. He's a professor of cognition and neuroscience at the University of Utah. Dr. Strayer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you on the show. And, I mean, we already knew, and I know you've done a ton of studies. You're one of the leading experts in this. We already know cell phones and cars don't mix very well, right? That's right. That's right. They're definitely uh, a significant source of distraction. Now, what about all of these new gadgets and car voice-activated systems? Are they better or are they worse than uh, cell phones? Well, the same. for the most part, things are much worse. Are they really? Uh, the uh, you know with a, a phone conversation uh, um, you're distracted, um, but when you start to try and talk to your car uh, to try and command and control it, uh, the workload ratings almost double. So uh, it's probably safe to say it's between uh, almost twice as distracting uh, to interact with your car by voice than it is to have a cell phone conversation. <laughs> Heavens. Because the the whole goal here, right, is to make us safer, to make this simpler, more hands-free, I guess. But in reality, you're saying it's twice as distracting um, as just as call as a cell phone call, which is already incredibly distracting. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal was basically to try and keep the driver's eyes on the road and their hands on the steering wheel, um, and that makes sense, and that's really important. So yeah. uh, that's the reason that we don't allow people texting because they start swerving out of their lane and. They get in lots of crashes. It's, that's way worse than drunk drunk driving. Um, but what happened was they moved to two things. Uh, one thing, the immediate, which is these voice com- voice commands where you might push a button on your uh, steering wheel, uh, and then you could tell the car to play, play uh, a radio station, change a radio station, 
uh, place a call, uh, interact with social media, send and receive emails, uh, post to Facebook. There's a tremendous amount of things that are being supported now that really don't belong uh, behind the wheel, especially the social media things. Right. The second thing, if you've looked at new cars recently, is they're just all of a sudden these huge uh, displays. Uh, Tesla has a 17-inch display in their vehicle. Not only does it have voice commands, but it has these huge displays with all kinds of graphics. And so there's more and more of a temptation to, yet again, take your eyes off the road uh, and, you know, sometimes it supports the task of driving, like if it's uh, some kind of GPS navigation system, and those tend to actually really support the driver. But there's all these other things that are going in the car, too, the social media functions and the e- emails and texting and voice texting, that is, uh, that don't belong in the car. And uh, you're going to have a hard time finding a car that doesn't support those kinds of things. It's going to come kind of standard in 2016 vehicles. Well, Dr. Schreyer, when we grew up, you you had like six things you could turn on in your car. (laughs) Now there's like 500 and they're all three menus deep. So I can only imagine somebody trying to navigate through menus while you're going through a construction site. And it just sounds like chaos. Danger. The cars, honestly, uh, they've become almost as complex as uh, as, as airplanes. Um, <laughs> if you look at all the electronics, some have heads-up displays. I, I saw a system that projects the video of someone you're talking to on the windshield. No speaker. way. That's all we need. Yeah, Mom, yeah. is that you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's, a, there's, there's video projection. Some systems are looking at gesture-based controls. So... Anything that you can imagine that uh, electronic technology that can be put in a car certainly is being considered. Some of that uh, will probably be very good to have. I mean, it may actually support the safe driving uh, of, the, of our public. But there's a lot of other entertainment things that at this point um, are either uh, poorly implemented uh, or maybe just shouldn't ever be in the car no matter how you implement it. Right. I mean, I guess that's it. Is They're testing everything, and they need you to go out and study it, and then we can beat it up and then eventually, I guess, make legislation that, yeah, you shouldn't be doing Facebook video you know, head, with heads-up displays while you're driving. Well, I, I will say that the encouraging sign is that uh, – some of the auto manufacturers that we tested, I'll get, name one, Toyota, that tended to actually really, we, we had a number of briefings with them back in Washington, D.C. They, uh, um, they have a really huge team that, uh, that uh, is working to try and make these systems so that only, they only support things that are uh, uh, relevant to driving and that they're relatively easy to use. And so it can be done, at least that these systems can be made so they're easy to use. But I won't name names on the other side of the extreme, but there are definitely other systems that are more than twice as difficult to use, doing the exact same operations. Mm. Um, some people really have kind of uh, really worked to try and make it easier to use, and others have a long way to go. Well, in fact, and we won't name names, but I was test driving uh, a car that I'm pretty sure is one of the, the ones with the most mental distractions based on the ranking scale that came from the Washington Post. Yep. And was that your data? Yes. Holy cow. The one, the car I've been dreaming of having is like up there is the worst because it's it does have a big screen in it, uh, a larger screen, but it's also it's the tech it's the tech car, and it supposedly does everything for you but steer. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, nobody even knows how safe or not their car really is. 
Yeah, that's one of the things that really was uh, kind of novel about the work we'd been doing is that um, it, it wasn't completely clear how much testing the different each of the into, uh, the auto manufacturers had been doing, and no one had been doing any kind of comparisons uh, between the cars, much like uh, the Insurance Institute does with uh, uh, crash testing. So this is kind of along the same lines to try and basically provide information so that you as a consumer can go out and uh, uh, be able to be informed because what we learn is you can't practice these things away. If it's hard to use and you can't figure out how to use it when you're in the lot looking at a oh. new car to purchase, you're stuck with that for, for as long as you own that car, and that may be 5 or 10 or right. maybe even 15 years. So you could end up kind of with technical, uh, you know, basically a technical albatross that you can't practice away. You, you in your article talked about the fact that the, the effects of this – I mean, this is so distracting. You you compared it to trying to balance your checkbook while driving. It's really that complicated. Yeah, yeah. In, balance your checkbook in your head while you're driving. That's, <laughs> we uh, developed a laboratory uh, version of that. It's actually something that's uh, that has a standardized test that comes in the, uh, to kind of measure how uh, the, you know push people to their limits. And when we uh, compare people when they're doing that activity to some of these voice-based systems. The worst of the systems were worse than uh, doing that mental, oh you know, mental balancing, uh, kind of like a checkbook balancing. Yeah, I don't even balance my checkbook at the kitchen table, let alone <laughs> trying to do it. I know you got you to turn the radio down and just kind right. of concentrate, focus, and, get yeah. the calculator out. It's um, it's also interesting to me that these aren't just car manufacturing companies that are doing the devices. I mean, Microsoft, Cortana, Apple, Siri, Google, now. They can all all of these hands-free tech companies can now uh, integrate into your car, right? They can very easily. If your car comes with Bluetooth, it's relatively uh, well. It can be done uh, with easier or easy or not, but it can be done where you can basically extend the functionality of your phone uh, to the car, so it becomes an extension of it, and that's where you get a lot of the social media function. Mm. Um, but we're seeing actually that uh, the next next generation, the 2016-2017 vehicles, are going to have uh, Android Auto or CarPlay, which is going to be effectively the entertainment or infotainment systems in the vehicles are going to be um, from uh, Apple or uh, for, from Android. Are they really? So, so it's, it, which is interesting because now all of a sudden you have kind of divergent industries. It seems like people that make cars would know better about distractibility of humans in a car than maybe, you know, Apple. Yeah, so there's <clears throat> clearly the auto manufacturers have been, uh, safety has been on their radar for a very long time. And Apple and, and, uh, and uh, Google, the Android system, are, uh, are, are clearly uh, entering a space where they're experts at making electronic technology probably in many respects uh, superior to what the auto manufacturers could do mm. because of their scale. Um, and we're used to a lot of those products, but uh, kind of com- comparing your uh, phone or uh, or your computer and pairing that to your car, you're now basically having the, the, the adding that safety element. And if you get something like that blue screen uh, um, while you're driving, that's obviously going to be a uh, trouble. <laughs> yeah, big trouble. Is um, so. So give me the numbers then. Being on your cell phone, talking on your cell phone um, while driving, what is that? How how much more unsafe are you than just driving without your cell phone? So um, one of the ways that people do this is to look at crash rates um, 
and then just calculate an odds ratio. Okay. Uh, and that's and they tells you basically that uh, when you look at that, the odds ratio is about four. Uh, you're four times more likely to be involved in a crash, um, and that's comparable we see in terms of crash risk to. Uh, uh, drunk driving at a 0.08 blood alcohol level. Oh, my heavens. So, so, so that's just, just cell phones use. Yeah, just even talking on a cell phone has a fairly high level. And then and this is twice people, that. Yeah. And a lot of times people go, yeah, but what about listening to the radio? Well, radio, we found, doesn't cause any distractions, just the, the most minimal amount. Uh, listening to the book on tape, same kind of thing. What about an annoying backseat driver? Well, um, if you get – certainly there are distractions in the car that can be a problem. If you have another adult in the car um, and you're carrying on a conversation with them, surprisingly that doesn't cause a problem because the other driver, uh, the other person in the car, the other adult, uh, has another set of eyes, and so they right. compensate for the distraction. That, of course, doesn't work with teen drivers. Uh-huh. Uh, teens don't know when to shut up. <laughs> Um, and so uh, what we see there is that, that uh, passenger conversations with teens – is actually uh, one of the highest sources of uh, fatal and, and non-fatal crashes. So hmm. many states have enacted uh, uh, graduate driver license laws that say that teens can't drive with other teens until they <clears throat> learn how to drive. That's great. Or learn how to pay attention and shut up. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's even true. Driving with a teen and a parent, you, you can see many times that would even cause problems just because they're trying to do two things at once, like discipline their kid. So it's about four times more likely to have an accident with a cell phone, which is about the same equivalent as drunk driving at .08. And then driving with all of these um, hands-free devices in the car is two times more likely to have an accident than even the drunk or the cell phone uh, yeah. use. So we developed a scale for AAA that ranged from one, which was just the workload of a driver who's just driving and doing nothing but driving, and five was that driving while doing the you know, that mental math balancing your checkbook task. Man. What we found was that the cell phone on that five-point scale, talking on either a handheld or hands-free cell phone, had about a 2.4. Uh, and hands-free and handheld were exactly the same because it's the brain that's being distracted, not the hands. Right. Um, when you look at things like uh, um, you know using some of these voice-based systems, they ranged from uh, the ones you can buy right now on the road, uh, 2.4, the same as uh, talking on cell I mean, these are at, these are cars you'll pick up at the dealership that are driving right next to you. If you buy a car right now off the lot, it's going to be uh, uh, at this level or up to 4.6 for the same set of, set of tasks. So almost a five on the workload scale. Uh, for something you could, if you just went down to the dealer right now, or tried to pair your, your phone to the uh, your smartphone to the car, that's the kind of workload you're going to get. And the the curious thing is, when you're using this, sometimes it's frustrating and it's error prone. You see people pounding on the steering wheel because it's doing something you don't want, or maybe it's sending a text message to uh, uh, the wrong message, <laughs> yeah. maybe an embarrassing message, <laughs> maybe it's calling somebody you don't want to call. Um, we had, you know, when we were testing this, one of the cars accidentally started, or for some reason that who knows why, started uh, calling 911. Oh. No, no reason to call 911. Right. The person didn't want to call 911. My bad. My car called you. Well, then they tried hanging up, and you can imagine the sequence <laughs> of uh, events. I mean, you've heard of like butt dials where you just you're you just put the thing in your pocket, and all of a sudden it's dialing. Wait till you have like your Buick dial. 
you and go. Every time you turn around, your car is calling somebody for you. Hey, um, let's do this. We're talking with Dr. David Strayer here from the University of Utah, and he's um, he's an expert in distraction and your distractibility. Um, he's a professor of cognition and neuroscience at the University of Utah. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion. I want to find out what his recommendations are. Uh, a, you know, maybe we need to start buying cars from the 70s again just to be safe. Sure, you'd have to distract yourself rolling that window down by hand, but uh, at least you won't be all of a sudden calling somebody you didn't mean to call. Stick with us, folks. Uh, we're talking about your cars. Aren't they great? All this new technology changing your life and potentially endangering it. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, you feel safe in your car? It's the craziest thing. Uh, we're trying to um, understand the the impact of all these hand free devices on our lives. You you've used Siri, right? So now you can just talk, and Siri will answer you. In fact, I woke up my son today, and Siri starts talking to talking to me um, because his Siri was on. Um, in the end, though. It's not just Siri, it's not Microsoft Cortana, it's not Google Now, all of their voice-activated, hands-free stuff. Now they're being integrated into your cars. So you name it, Chevy, Toyota, Ford, Buick, Volkswagen, Nissan, Hyundai, Mazda, they've all got cars now that are hands-free. And according to our guest, Dr. David Strayer from the University of Utah, um, maybe we're much more distracted than we think we are. Professor of Cognition and Neuroscience at University of Utah. His current research specializes in attention and performance, specifically in relation to driving distractions and reaction times. Dr. David Strayer, thanks again for being with us. Oh, great. I'm happy to be here. This is, uh, for me, super interesting because – so I went to a dealer, not naming a brand – Test drove a car that is supposedly on the cutting edge of technology, and when we sat in the car to go test drive it, they the first thing he done. It's the the first thing the guy did with me. He's never I've never seen this done. He paired my phone to the car, and um, so right then, and he put me on your scale of one to five. Um, he put me at about I guess a three point eight of potential distractibility. Certainly, if you're if you're talking to the phone at that that period of time, if you're trying to basically talk to the car and get the car to behave in certain ways, yeah. trying to send a text message or something like that, that's the workload that you were experiencing. That's crazy. I went on another test drive in another car, and I kept pounding on the screen <laughs> to to change the, the the menu, and found out that um, the screen's not a touch screen. There's a there's a little there's a toggle switch that you just maneuver. The guy looked at me like, okay, yeah. You can buy this car, but you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> it's it's crazy, and you're you're finding out really it's two times more when you're engaged in talking to your car and menuing through everything and trying to pull up social media or trying to text somebody. You are about two times more, just twice as distracted 
as if you were just using your cell phone in the car. Yeah, when you're when you're using these are complex interactions. You know, you take them yeah. for granted. You think that yeah, well, how could that be such a dis- distraction? And it turns out that you know, if you get your uh, if you tell Siri to do the wrong thing, if you uh, you know try and send a text message and it gets the or an email message, either one or a Facebook post, and you get the wrong information there about who you're who you're sending that message to or what the content of that message is, um, well, that matters, and so you have to you end up concentrating uh, and displacing an, an an inordinate amount of attention on that uh, task that isn't related to driving. Huh. What do you what do you sense the future is because. These manufacturers, I guess, are incentivized, and how are they incentivized to keep making you know so many hands-free devices? I think it's just to kind of keep up with everybody else. It's not like there's uh, it's not like there's other anything other than just uh, when you go to the uh, dealership and you're trying to look for new vehicles. Um, you know, the one that kind of has some of the advanced systems and looks a little shinier mm. uh, probably you know makes you a little bit more likely to buy it at first. Um, and you don't usually stop and think about, uh, you know, how well does that work? Maybe you assume that it probably works pretty well. And the ones that look uh, have a nice, bigger displays and, and some of these other capabilities, they must be uh, easier to use. Um, so I think to some extent it's, it's just the kind of the market pressures that they perceive that uh, they need to kind of keep up with everybody else. And, and it's interesting because we, we see this new – idea like one um, and I don't know if you've tested all of these but one that I was looking at is lane changing so if I change lanes or if somebody's in my blind spot my car now automatically alerts me so I'm thinking to myself oh yeah I need that I need that but I don't know that I'm while I'm doing that I may also actually be increasing the odds of being distracted more so just like the voice-based systems, some of these uh, adaptive systems that help the uh, driver to stay in their lane and, uh, um, and noticing their blind spot, an adaptive cruise control that slows down so you don't run into the back of somebody, they have lots of benefits. Uh, but if you don't know how to use them, yeah. um, you're going to have problems. And there's a large number of uh, cases where people were distracted by the technology uh, or in many cases they had the adaptive cruise control on, mm-hmm. forgot it was on, and then when they tra- changed lanes, the car started to accelerate as it was programmed to do, and the driver was totally surprised. Yeah, I, and I guess that's another little dilemma we're facing is just understanding technology and and different levels of technology. I mean, I could see a Cadillac by owner that's always bought the top-of-the-line Cadillac, and then all of a sudden they go by the top-of-the-line Cadillac and get a bunch of features that maybe they're not even tech-savvy to understand how to use. You know, what I rec- first of all, there's two things I recommend, one of which is just because it's in the car doesn't mean it's safe to use while the car is in motion. I mean, that seems a little silly because mm. you think, why would it be there if it's not safe to use? So you should, uh, first of all, kind of shy away from any of the social media kind of functions. They just don't belong in the vehicle while you're driving. And the second thing I recommend is if you're looking to purchase a new car, uh, make sure that you test the usability of that car. Test it to make sure that you can actually get it to do the things that you uh, want it to do. If it's got, if you've got to be doing voice dialing, make sure that you can figure out how to do that before you leave leave the lot. lot. Yeah. Because what we found in our studies, we gave people the car for a week. Each of these cars that we tested for a week, and had them practice it to see how good they could get. And what we found was there's a little bit of improvement, but at the end of the day, something that was really hard to use on day one stayed hard mm-hmm. to use. And so you're likely to end up buying a piece of technology if you're not careful that 
is unusable. And then what happens is after a week of being frustrated, you say, forget it, I'm just going to use my phone or whatever. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's buyer beware in the sense of, you know, you really you look, you, you know, obligatorily like look at the engine to make sure that it looks right when you're thinking about purchasing right. a car and you check miles per gallon, and you check all the safety ratings. Another thing you should do as a good consumer when you're purchasing is to actually make sure you really understand the technology that's in the car. And, and, and most people don't. There was just a big initiative by the National Safety Council about two weeks ago. Uh, it's called My Car Does What? And it's a whole thing just describing all these new safety systems and things that are being put in the car that consumers don't understand. Do you remember, I mean, do you remember when you had your first car and you, were, you didn't even care if the windows went down? Just as long as it drives and now it it my car does what in your study you found um that these new devices and voice activated systems can take the driver's mind off the road for as long as 27 seconds is that right yeah that was really one of the surprising aspects we knew that people were distracted when they were interacting with the technology but we developed some measures and ways of testing that were able to show that the residual kind of technology hangover if you if you will uh, lasted for up to 27 seconds. The biggest part was in that first 10 seconds. After you hang up, uh, you're kind of distracted and still kind of recovering from that interaction for up to 27 seconds. And a lot, of, and that actually, <clears throat> a lot of times we talk to people and they say, "I don't text when I'm driving, but but I'll, I'll text when I get to a red light." But if you've been texting and the light turns green and you start to go through the intersection, you're distracted at pretty mm. high levels, even though you put the phone down. That, that 27 seconds would take you uh, up to six, up to sorry, up to 600 feet, three football fields. Oh wow! Um, yeah, sorry, my three. It would be three football fields. Sorry, I just was doing the. That's <laughs> right. Do mental math in the morning. It's it really is. Um, it's time and it's focus, isn't it? And it's and it, I guess it's also the sense that you are safer than you are. You, you we we almost need to remain more alert, just it's almost like we're losing the, the nervousness of all of this. You're now traveling 75 miles an hour, and you're more worried about your text message than your life. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, <clears throat> that drives a lot of the safety advocates uh, crazy, is that this is the number one way that you're uh, a, a number one source of accidental deaths in the, in the United States. Uh, 30,000 people are killed every year. It should be an outrage. Um, for some reason, we've kind of we were complacent, and uh, you know, it's just—it's just—it's really unacceptable to lose this number of people. And they're lo- and ni- at least ninety percent of those crashes, maybe more, are due to some form of human error. The car is not malfunctioning mm-hmm. in most car parts. It's occasionally, you get a tire that has a problem or an ignition that has a problem, and and so forth. But ninety percent of these are preventable because it's the driver that's done something wrong. They've fallen asleep, they've gotten drunk, or they're distracted, or something else that. Uh, um, is causing these accidents. So that's a lot of people who are dying on our highways unnecessarily. This is why we're going to have to have eventually self-driving cars because it, we are going to be so distracted and so full of gadgetry that there's no way a human could actually do it safely. So maybe that's – is that the future? I think that probably is the future, but it's not the near future. The near future is going to be more sources of distraction, more electronics, gesture-based controls, huge displays, projection displays on the windshield and everything like that. And we're going to be fighting distracted driving for uh, probably uh, at least a decade, if not more. Mm. Um, But there is a move to uh, basically uh, let the car go on autopilot. Um, And uh, every manufacturer of an automobile, as well as uh, 
uh, Google uh, have vehicles that they've developed uh, that, uh, at least in prototype, can can drive themselves. That's not going to be an easy transition. That's not no. an easy problem. And think about it this way: it's the most complicated uh, autonomous system that's ever been attempted. And, you know, nothing could go wrong there, right? Yeah, right. What's the worst thing that could happen? So really, you've taught us, shy away from social media use in the cars with all this technology, no matter what. Really, turn your phones off no matter what um, while driving. Test the visibility uh, of the car. So make sure – or the usability of the car. So make sure that you understand, do I really know how to use everything that's in the car before I try to use it while going 70 miles an hour? And – and don't just believe that just because they have a device that you need to use it or that it's even necessarily worth having. Yeah, absolutely. Those are three three uh, perfect bullet points. And, uh, you know, you should really – in the buyer beware. You should really test this stuff out. If you do end up purchasing a car ha- or have purchased a car and you're not quite sure what your vehicle does, uh, I do I do recommend looking at the National Safety Council's website, My Car. Or they, they, it's part of what the National Safety Council put together. It's called MyCarDoesWhat.org, I think. But you can look it up online. And it just describes all the new features that are either in your car or maybe going to be in the car you're thinking about purchasing. Hmm. And uh, the reason they had to put that website together was people don't understand the technologies in their car. Oh, crazy stuff. Well, David, we appreciate you and the great work you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, They're at the University of Utah. Dr. David Strayer is his name. He's a professor of cognition and neuroscience at the University of Utah. And uh, we put on our Twitter um, feed there the uh, mycardoeswhat.com link. Um, If you want to go to at Dr. Matt Show, you can get an easy, quick link to that. Good stuff. Wow. We got to pay attention, don't we, now? We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Continue the discussion. On the other side of the break, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is a crazy thing. When you think about how distracted you are just driving, listening to the show, it's it's easy to get distracted. And again, there's something about passing somebody, you know, let's say you're going 70 miles an hour on the freeway. You look over and you see somebody on a computer or reading a book. I've seen somebody reading a book while driving. Well, yeah, but at least I'm not. Distracted 27 seconds. You know what? Let me just teach you a secret. This is something I learned just growing up. Death feels the same way, whether it was accidental or just stupid. Whether it was just a mistake or whether it was just a weird, crazy anomaly. You're still dead. You're still dead. Well, I can't believe my technology didn't protect me from that. Well, no, it didn't. No, no, it didn't. Because you you were actually using Facebook when you died. Good. Maybe what should happen is at every car accident, we should teach our technology, train our technology, use our technology, that it could be the first report of your death. My driver has died. Thank you, Siri distractibility folks and uh, I really would recommend you go to the Washington Post 
and look up that article, um, Mental Distraction Rankings of Voice-Activated Systems. The article is on a study called Hands-Free Devices Distract Drivers for 27 Seconds After Use, as our good Dr. David Strayer just taught us. Folks, we got to get more real. Really, I mean, they say it takes about 10,000 years to evolve a trait, right? And one of the things I always talk about with my uh, in my workshops and my classes, we are more terrified of a rattlesnake. If I put a rattlesnake in the corner of a room, you'd be more afraid of that than of somebody using, you know, Facebook while going 75 miles an hour. But the reality is more people die from Facebook going 75 miles an hour than a rattlesnake. We have to evolve. We have to change. And uh, we might not need to buy something that uh, is just going to distract us. Anyway, that's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Not to leave you on a downer. I mean, we've got great technology. But you know what? It'll kill you if you're not careful. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach. Your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the information, the latest and the greatest, the research you need to know about to live longer and love stronger. By the way, last hour we taught you about uh, all the hands-free devices that could be potentially killing you if you're not careful. Um, man, cars are not necessarily becoming safer as they have more and more of these devices. You'd think they would be, but you're actually becoming more distracted if you want information and go listen to that first hour of the show. Just go look us up on iTunes or tune in. That's um, definitely the fastest way to get to that information. Um, also, or you can go to byuradio.org and look for our uh, our podcast there as well. But today, have we got a great show for you. Today, we're going to be talking about tips for managing ADD or ADHD in college and in life. A lot of uh, students aren't even diagnosed until they get to college. You know, because all of a sudden the systems that you had at home that made it so it was, you could be functional and healthy with ADD, they're gone. And then all of a sudden you've got to now make the tests and the grades on your own. Anyway, we'll be talking with an expert here on campus at Brigham Young University. Dr. Aaron Allred will join us. He'll be giving us some of the latest and greatest tips for handling attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. Um, just, you know, great information, I think, for anybody that uh, – has a lack of focus. Um, we'll be getting to that. But uh, we've got to get to a few stories. Holy cow. Uh, by the way, I'm going to announce it every hour. I I don't want to brag, but I may have found a new career. I'm probably going to I'm probably going to go play ball for the Boston Red Sox. You're going pro? I'm probably going pro. I I, mean, I don't want to say I am because you know, you got to be drafted and everything. You don't have to be. I know I'm going to go through the draft. Okay. I'm going to probably be drafted first round. They could just pick you up, put you well, in the farm leagues. And... Well, they see they'd like that. Okay. They'd like me in the, the juniors, the farm leagues, but no. I'm going right in. Your major league material. Oh. Yeah. 
So I went to Fenway Park, did a speech. Are in you Boston. a three tool, four tool player? I've, I've run, hit, catch. I've got twelve. Bat. I've got twelve tools. Okay, I'm, I'm your twelve great. tool. Wow. Well, I've got. I can run. I can hit. I can bat. I can lay down a bunt like you've never seen a bunt laid down. Wow. I um, so you're a situational hitter and a power hitter. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, I'm fast like lightning. And I was watching the video. You, did you see that? Did you see good, the hips? You make some good cuts. You got good hip rotation oh, follow great. through. I think I only I I whiffed on one ball, but I attribute that to it was dark. Yeah, you said that in the video. So I was, I was really like, oh, was, making excuses. It really, right was, off the it really was dark. It was down pretty there. dark. And I've got really, you know, I mean, I've got eagle eyes. I'm not a bat. I've got eagle eyes. Um, I don't know if they hunt very well. No, I don't know. They probably, yeah, yeah, they probably yeah. do. But so I went to Fenway Park, and then I got to hit in the batting cage down where the Red Sox bat. And I went nine for 10. Well, three or four were foul. Four were foul. Right. But you made contact. That's the hard part with a 100 mile an hour fastball. Now, I, I didn't look. Was someone pitching or was it a machine? No, it was a, it was a machine okay. with the ball guy putting the balls in. Did they tell you how fast it was going? He said 100, 105. I, I, I didn't hear him say that, but if you, it would, was, you, you wouldn't see the ball if it was coming that fast. I know. I told you I could hardly see it. And, <laughs> it was um, dark. And You're then, in a dungeon. And, and it was hard, too, because there was like 20 people behind me. Yeah, they were cheering on. At they first, were they, were, they were having other conversations. I know. Did you hear them hush? Right, and then you hit the, the ball, and they went, whoa, and they go, wow. wow. And that's then, our speaker, they said. Like, that's that's right. our speaker. Such skill. Anyway, we put the video up on our we Twitter will. feed. Oh, we will. I've been converting it. Oh, yeah. Twitter doesn't like converting how Converting lo- it to- Another format. The, Mormonism? I actually had to set up a uh, a separate Google account so I could upload it to YouTube, and then I'm going to post oh, that's it. perfect. So we have a show- and, then, and, and get us- Yeah, do that. Yeah. And then get us a- uh, Get me a link- on that, send me that. I okay, was, I was just going to tell you that off air, but I just told you on air. Um, anyway, I'll send you all kinds. It's of a whole other story. But um, so I'm probably going to go pro, play pro ball. But I'm not. Okay. I don't just have a few of the tools. I also you should see me work the bench. Really? Yeah. Like, so you're a good team player too. I, I'm a I'm a coach. I have a doctorate in human development. Right. So I can get people out of their slumps. I could probably help their marriages. Oh wow! I mean, there's a lot. I could do their radio shows. You're a good locker room guy. I went into the press box at Fenway. Holy cow. So much history there. I went on the green uh, the green monster, mm-hmm. sat there. Take pictures? I did. I actually okay. took a video of the guy doing the tour. Okay. Of the monster. Of the monster. This is a wall. They built it because there's a highway Carlton over here. Carlton Fisk. <laughs> I, I was right under the left marker, the left uh, home run marker where Carlton Fisk hit the ball. Wow. In seventy something historic spots on a wall. I saw Paul Revere's house. Has nothing to do with Fenway. No, but it's Paul Revere. Huge. Anyway, did it have I, a hitching post up front? No. Where's no, he no. putting his horse? It had. You know what? I think he parked it in the garage. Okay. He did have a garage. He had eighteen kids. You said. Yeah, he had eighteen kids from two wives. Which is why he rode through the night so often. And because uh, I, it made noise because I have six kids with one wife, mm. and I'm only going to have one wife. I only have one wife to live. Um, wow. Sounds like Elmer Fudd. It does. I only have one wife one to live. One wife to live. Uh, today we got Dr. Aaron Allred will be joining us talking about ADHD. Speaking of ADHD, let's go to Terry South and help him help us with the headlines of the day. What's going on around the world, Terry? Thank you, Matt. I think. During the Republican debate earlier this week, Donald Trump reiterated his plan to control the borders and deport millions of illegal immigrants out of the country. Wednesday morning, he appeared on 
uh, Morning Joe on MSNBC, and he said that he would create a deportation force. You're going to have a deportation force, and you're going to do it humanely. You have millions of people that are waiting online to come into this country, and they're waiting to come in legally. And I always say the wall. We're going to build the wall. It's going to be a real deal. Now, he does have a point. There are people waiting in line to come into the country legally, and these other people came into the country illegally, so send them back. But we're talking about 11 million or so people that we're just going to round up somehow and ship them back to where they came from. That's the scary thing, because that sounds like, you know, you need stormtroopers. Yes. Or is he calling it a deportation force? But what's amazing that is you might, not that you want to go deport 11 million people, but because what about the jobs? Because But there's probably 11 million people waiting on the registers of our State Department to get in. Right. So they've done that appropriately. You could lighten the entry requirements for those that are trying to get in, let a bunch of them in, but I don't know how you deploy. So this would be immigration reform. Yeah. It sounds like something that no one has ever wanted to tackle. Pretty much every candidate says that it's something that needs to happen, but nobody wants to touch it because it's such a volatile issue. I think Obama even said he would tackle it. But dodged it. Dodged it. So. Here, this is it's more hard. evidence that, that needs to be reformed. Ten years ago, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, USCIS, planned to spend $500 million to convert about 100 immigration forms for online use. To date, the agency has spent double its original estimate, so $500 million, so uh, they've spent a, bill. a billion dollars, and they have successfully digitized a grand total of one document. You're kidding me! A couple of years ago, USCIS ah! had two other forms online, which are no longer in use. One was pulled after only 80 people chose it over the paper option preferred by thousands. The current functional form, the only one... Allows people to renew or replace their green cards, but users report lengthy wait times and lost applications. One billion, one. Okay, here's the deal. Give me one million dollars, one million, and I can have my assistant digitize all of them. And you'd make a profit, yeah. Ah. So they've that's lots crazy. of lots of waste. After the events at the University of Missouri earlier this week sparked other demonstrations across the country and have some administrators apparently on edge, hundreds of students demonstrated at Ithaca College in upstate New York on Wednesday demanding the resignation of their college president for what they said was his lackluster response to complaints about racial insensitivity on campus. At Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts, about 100 students demonstrated in solidarity with their counterparts in Ithaca and Missouri. They also spoke of microaggressions, which we've talked yep. about on the show. While at the University of Kansas, the administration called a town hall meeting to give students and faculty a chance to be heard before any concerns about race on campus could grow. So it sounds like they're trying to get out in front of any sort of problems. At Claremont McKinney College in uh, California, or McKenna College in California, the junior class president resigned Tuesday after a racially insensitive Facebook post. And at Yale, the campus is still in turmoil about an overheard white girls only remark at an off-campus fraternity party on Halloween. This is growing. It's happening. You can see the spread. I would suggest anybody on any campus anticipate you have race relations. If you're a president, try to get out ahead of this if you want to keep your I would also anticipate anywhere else on earth. I mean – That too. This is – to think that there aren't issues. It's an issue, but now – now College students have seen that they can have some uh, influence yeah. on campus, and they'll they'll step up and take that opportunity. Uh, Donald Trump and Ben Carson are set to receive their Secret Service code names. Oh, this will be fun. The uh, these are all preliminary. They yeah. were they were leaked, of course. Of course, leaked leaked by the Democratic Party. Trump will be referred to as mogul. 
Oh. And Carson is likely to be referred to as Eli for some reason. The prophet Eli? I'm not sure. They will start receiving protection on Wednesday morning, so they're under protection at the moment. Officials say there is a po- there's a possibility the names will still change before their protection begins, so these things yeah. are all in motion. I have a feeling the, the names will be different behind the scenes. <laughs> they always are. For whoever the protection is. His Excellencies in the building. Now, interesting, which, one would you, which name would you rather have, the Mogul or Eli? Probably Mogul. I guess we got to know what Eli means. Yeah, what's the, what's the reason for Eli? See, Trump, I remember in the debate, they asked him in the first debate, yeah. what would your secret service name be? And he said Humble. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Which probably wouldn't work, yeah. Interesting. Okay, man, we need, by the way, we need to make some names up. I, I want a secret service name. Ben, be thinking about that. Be thinking about that. About yours or mine? Yeah, think about yours too. Okay. Your, sure. Yours could be humble. Yeah. You're a humble guy. So you said post the batting cage video. Yeah. I will post that. You can see it on Twitter here in just a few minutes. Mm, it's You know what? It'll change your life. You'll see how dark it was. And you'll see what a 100-mile-an-hour fastball looks like. You'll also see my rockety, rickety hips just cutting through it. Anyway, uh, doing what we can on the show to give you the information, the tools you need. We, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Aaron Allred will be joining us. He'll be talking to us about um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and some skills, some tools you might need that, that might help you through you know, getting through college. And I, they'll also apply to you getting a job, working healthier. Uh, ADHD, folks, it's not going away. And instead of just not understanding it, we're going to try to understand it better and uh, see if we can't give you some tools, information. All you need to grow a healthier, happier life and a healthier, happier family. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, don't you hate that feeling when you know someone is judging you? And a great example is when you're on a plane and you're traveling with an infant toddler and, uh, you know, everyone's looking at you. Everyone's checking you out. Well, many times um, in our lives, we have stuff going on with us that we feel everyone's looking at. Um, that they, You can tell they're kind of gearing on you. They're focusing on you. That they, they, they sense something's wrong with you. <laughs> Um, and many times they may not, but you know if you've got a disorder, an attention disorder, or any type of kind of um, focus issue, it might make it so it's even harder for you to to get through just simple tasks that uh, are necessary at college. You know, college is about focus. It's about, you know, reading, getting stuff done, being determined to get through all the hoops so in four years or so, you can have your degree. But approximately 2 to 8% of college population has ADHD, according to a 2009 Journal of Attention Disorders. Many students are first diagnosed with ADHD when they come to the college or the on-campus, 
And uh, they get here and they realize, I can't focus. They may not have even noticed it earlier in their lives. So joining us is Dr. Aaron Allred, who works here at BYU's Accessibility Center. And he is um, he does psychodiagnostic evaluations. Is that right, Aaron? That's right. And you – so talk to us about ADHD, ADD. What is the difference then of um, ADD or ADHD? I mean – we're using two different terms. Some have attention deficit disorder. Some have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Is that right? That's right. It's it's a little strange because technically the term ADD hasn't been used or officially recognized since before 1994. Yeah. But but the idea still exists as as they saw that a lot of the brain uh, differences between ADHD and ADD, and then the normal population were very similar between the two categories of disorders. In 1994, they they just lumped them all into one category, ADHD. ADHD. So now it's called ADHD, predominantly inattentive presentation. That's that's kind of the new term for ADD, which is way too long to say. So yeah. people just stick with ADD. But it's it really is it's it's an attention problem, a focus problem, mm-hmm. inattentiveness, I guess, problem. Yep. Yep. So so ADHD, inattentive presentation. Um, you know, a, a student, an individual can have uh, significant deficits in their ability to regulate attention. So the circuits in the brain are compromised and, and they don't have the same brainwave uh, patterns, uh, especially in the frontal lobe where, you know, that's the CEO of the brain. It, it kind of controls all the complex behaviors that, you know, that, that we do. So with the inattentive presentation, you know, the struggle is to regulate your attention in in a way that's planned mm. and controlled which has got to be so frustrating for I mean if you're a new student at somewhere like BYU or any university or even just new into the work field and workforce and all of the and you can't focus like you can't do what everyone else in the class is doing mm-hmm. how how would they not know that up till now well, I can't think of a more demanding time in terms of your attention than than college and the competition of it all and the demand of it all. You bet. So most students feel a huge jump in how much they're required to do from high school to yeah. college, and you don't have mom and dad, you know, uh, forcing you to. Yeah, you don't have do those homework. systems, huh? Because like yeah. you had homework, you always could come home. Your mom would always say, "Have you done your homework? Do your homework." And they, and then you have grades. Mm-hmm. You had all these mm-hmm. systems that kept you kind of in the game. Yeah, the structure was there for you, yeah. and um, and uh, you know, at college, you're the one who's in charge, and and you're having to get yourself to study, right? And sometimes it's you know. Four hours a day. Sometimes it's eight hours a day where no one's forcing you to to do that, and you just kind of got get yourself to do that. And then you, so these students find out that something's not right. I can't focus. They eventually can make it to your office because if they have a learning disability or if they have an emotional or uh, attention disability, they can talk to you. You can evaluate them, and you would diagnose them. Right, right. So if someone's already been diagnosed before, you know, we would just accept documentation from whoever they're working with, a doctor, counselor, a psychiatrist. Um, but if they've never been diagnosed or, or tested and just wonder if they're dealing with a disability, because sometimes it's hard to know. We've only right. been inside right. our, our own heads, right? So we don't we don't know what someone else is experiencing. We don't know what's normal sometimes. And so they can come and do, uh, for ADHD, we have free testing. For learning disorders, we have testing that's 80 to 90% discounted. 
what um, what are the signs then? So if somebody – because it almost seems like anybody could be distracted with today's technology, with today's world. If you're just – if you're semi-coherent, it seems like you'd be easily distracted. Right, right. I I have to laugh to myself when I when I hear stories that – Remind me of myself. Yeah. I, I don't have ADHD, but I can certainly sympathize, you know, with forgetfulness. You yeah. know? So I've locked my keys in my car numerous times. I've locked my keys in my car while it's running <laughs> before. And so I hear stories like that. I just kind of laugh to myself. So some uh, part of the difficulty is some of the signs can be very common, but an ADHD would expect that the, the frequency and the intensity of those problems are, are are very high, yeah. and so the, the testing kind of helps to, you know, determine you know where someone stands relative to the normal population. And the test is a written test, right? Well, there's there's how, a lot of different work? kinds. Yeah, we usually give eight tests. Actually, which oh, good. Sounds like a ton. It, it's about you know two to three hours. Well, of that's the way you want. You want let's get it right. Right, right. Honestly, if we had the capabilities, we we do about six to 10 hours of testing and do full psychological testing. That's kind of the gold standard at diagnosing ADHD. But but we do do a a, a really thorough job with, um, you know, our current testing protocol. And we have about eight different tests. Some are written. Uh, One is done by like a parent. Okay. One is done by like a spouse or a roommate or someone who's observing them, you know, in their daily life. And then there's a couple of computer tests that we give. And then by the end, you say, yep, you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I, I mean, I would assume many of them are relieved because they're thinking, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was broken. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we get, we get kind of a mix of reactions. It's sometimes hard for me to predict exactly how a student will react to a diagnosis because we do still have some that – um, are, have a tough time with it, and it's yeah. hard to swallow. And you know, they're in tears when they hear that they have a, a disorder. And then we have tears of joy, where people are just so relieved, and their whole life makes sense now. Yeah, and all of their problems kind of they have a way to conceptualize it and a way to to think about it and understand, you know, how those symptoms were coming up. Do you um, because it's you know it, it almost. It's a disorder, but it's also a disorder, I think, that seems a little more relatable than other disorders. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's everyone's kind of forgetful and people just think you're kind of forgetful. But the, you're saying, though, once it's diagnosed effectively, there are there are effective treatments, right? You can – I mean, I know one is pharmaceuticals. You go take some farms and you – that helps. Uh, maybe talk about what are your options of how how to treat ADHD. You know, there's there's more options than what people believe. I, yeah, I, I they always think, think it's just one drug. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, a stimulant medication tends to be you know the most common form of treatment. I would say probably about sixty percent of the students that I diagnose look into medication at one time or or another, but. But really, there are a variety of treatment methods. ADHD coaching mm-hmm. is, is is one method. We we have some availability for for coaching at our center, where it's helping the person find strategies that specifically work for them, and you know, in in school and at work and in their daily life. Because there are a lot of ideas and and ish, I mean strategies that you just need to kind of create new systems that might help. You bet. You bet. And. Um, you know, in college, you're in charge, and, and if you can strategize and, and order things and 
and, uh, you know, pick the time of day that you're doing something, um, you can really do some great things to, to help your attention. We wouldn't say that, you know, doing those things solves the original problem. I mean, you still have ADHD and you still have the symptoms, mm-hmm. but it can certainly make it easier to cope. But this isn't even just a, this isn't just a school thing, is it? This is a life issue. And there's, uh, there's a lot of great boards, conversation boards you can go to about ADHD. One, um, I mean, one thing I've seen in my work with couples is a lot of, a lot of uh, marital issues can come mm-hmm. with, uh, with ADHD. You have a spouse that doesn't seem to finish certain things. They, they struggle keeping a job or they, you know, they don't quite get the results they want. And, um, and then even the hyperactivity side of it causes other things. They don't sleep as well. And so th- this isn't just for school, right? This is – ADHD is for life. Oh, you bet. You bet. I'd say it, it kind of comes to a head in school more often than not because so much is required of your attention. But you bet um, there's, there's a lot of you know, social functioning deficits. You know, these people may have uh, awesome interpersonal skills yeah. but have some deficits in following conversations or tracking what someone just said or – um, needing instructions multiple times, things like that, and in a marriage, you bet that can that can definitely come up. So I mean, that's what, you know how many times I've asked. So it seems like you've got ADHD or something. And mm-hmm. Many times you be like, "Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, I do." <laughs> yeah, it's funny because you know people with ADHD tend to adopt a pretty flexible style to their life, mm-hmm. kind of flying by the seat of their pants sometimes and fitting things in as as they need to, and then. W- when you get married, you have this other person, you know, always around. Right. Um, and you, and uh, they might not have that same outlook. They may not be that flexible. Right. So it's it's a, it's an adjustment and it takes a lot of communication and understanding. But I think spouses, if I were to talk to the spouses, I'd say, you know, you, we need to understand that this is a disorder. Yeah. There, there's a limitation here. And even though someone may intend to get to everything on that honey-do list, they may not get there. You know, they, they may get distracted. Yeah. Um, Should you, because one of the things I hear a lot is, um, like, I'll have a lot of spouses say, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not here to raise a baby. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you're not here to raise a baby. You just have a partner that you know has ADHD. And mm-hmm. should, at what point, I mean, it seems to me if, if they have ADHD, for example, and they, um, and we should intervene a little bit, shouldn't mm-hmm. we, to help them at least get a plan and to get, I mean, parents and spouses, we shouldn't just sit back and hope they figure it out. Right. Right. I mean, for a lot of my clients who are married, their spouse becomes a, a source of accountability. And if if that person tackles it like a, a police officer would, that, that might not be too help, helpful, you yeah. know, just guilting them, you know, whenever something goes wrong. But if that person is, you know, kind of like a, a sidekick or a coach, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and encourages, you know, that can be a really sort of helpful accountability. There. And they should. And I mean, just because you're diagnosed with ADHD doesn't mean you can't learn to do this stuff. You just it might take you longer. Right. Right. You bet. You, you may have to develop some ways to cope with it and to strategize. And you may have to use a planner. Yeah. And, uh, religiously. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you just kind of have to deal with it in in different ways. Yeah, or just hire people. Yeah, there you Be go. Be so successful, you can just hire everyone around you yeah, to you keep the you money. on task. Yep, you bet. That's interesting stuff. We're speaking with Dr. Aaron Allred here from Brigham Young University. He is a coordinator for learning. Um, he's over psychodiagnostic 
um, I guess, evaluations here with the students to help them identify if they have um, ADHD or if they have any other emotional or attention disorders, um, plus other disorders that he works with here on campus. We're going to take a break. When we come back, he's going to give us some of his tried and tested uh, tricks, the methods, little learnings and tools to help us manage our ADHD and to help you uh, maybe prepare your own children for uh, what's coming at them when it gets to college and when they get out into the world. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today in studio with us is Dr. Aaron Allred here from Brigham Young University. He is um, he's a coordinator for learning and uh, psychodiagnostic evaluations at uh, Brigham Young University's um, center for, uh, what would we call it, Aaron? Accessibility the Accessibility Center. Because everybody comes to campus, right, and they bring their different... They bring their gifts, they bring their talents, they also bring their disorders and their disabilities. And at the Accessibility Center, they really uh, try to focus on, you know, how to help you perform at your highest level. And uh, they do that through coaching and diagnostics and uh, what else do you do? Counseling, whatever you can do to get them back on the road. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah, we, we do accommodations in school. We, we have, uh, you know, coaching available. Um, although we don't do counseling, we often share a lot of clients with the the counseling center um, at BYU. It's really this is this is how this is how it's going to work, right? You're a human, you're not born flawless, and you eventually got to figure out what's going on with you and learn what works for you, the skills, the tools, uh, maybe medicine if it helps. But when it comes to ADHD, it's a it's it is kind of a life sentence. You're going to battle it your life, mm-hmm. and you need. As many tools as you possibly can get. You bet, you bet. And I've found that my ADHD clients are really interested and passionate about finding something that they can grasp onto for the rest of their life. Uh, even if they might be on medication, um, they they don't want to subscribe to you know forty years of of medication. Right. Um, so, and some of those yeah. meds just make you more anxious. Some of them, mm-hmm. some meds don't work for people. I hear. Right, right, yeah. A lot of the stimulants, um, which are kind of the main form of treatment for ADHD, um, yeah, they they can decrease your appetite. They yeah. they can, um, you know, cause problems in your sleep. Some, it, although it's not you know too common, you know, some people have a, a lot more anxiety and depression on on those medications. So it's it's not a perfect fix. And then once you're on the medication and it's it's solving a few symptoms for you, there's usually a few lingering symptoms that are causing some problems mm-hmm. anyway. And so it's good to tackle it from multiple angles and bring it into your counseling experience if you're doing counseling or looking to coaching. I mean, it seems like, too, you're even more, uh, you can use it to your strength. You can use it to your advantage. Like I, I was talking to you in the break about a relative that has it and it's made him a lot more creative but you just have to know what your Achilles heel is mm-hmm. so he has an assistant that looks through his email but he and and makes sure stuff gets done and all he knows he needs to do is quickly change from thing to thing to thing all day mm-hmm. and then he makes sure it's scheduled 
Yeah, wouldn't that be the great? next step? And then he has an assistant that keeps him basically on task. Yeah, man. If every student had that, that'd be awesome. Wouldn't that be great. That used to be mom, or that used to yeah. be dad. Like, have you done your homework yet? Yeah, and you didn't have to pay mom or dad. But that's right. <laughs> what What are some tools that uh, you teach the students? What are some things to help them manage ADHD? Well, I'd say the first thing is to realize your your, your strengths, and um, it, it might it might sound crazy to talk about strengths when we've been talking about a disorder all yeah. along here. Um, but uh, case in point, I had a, a student uh, when he was when he was 13. He started this uh, lawn mowing business, and his mom and dad didn't really know what he was doing. You know, they just assumed he was, you know, mowing one lawn and then, you know, going to play with his friends. You know, all summer. But at the end of summer, he went to his dad and he said, "Dad, let's go to the dirt bike store. I want to get something." He's like, "Okay, you want to get a, a helmet or something <laughs> like a bell?" And and he's like, "No, Dad, I want to get a dirt bike." And he bring he he brings out this shoebox full of money, and this is when he was 13 years old. And um, he's got twelve thousand dollars in the shoe in the shoe box. Are you kidding? And me? So he goes and buys a, a dirt bike. So whenever we we talk about um, strategies, it's important to realize that these people come with great strengths. Oh, yeah. So uh, creativity, for instance, let's not squash creativity. Let's find a place for it. Let's let's channel it. So, for instance, if uh, if you're in a lecture and it's feeling a bit boring or mundane, and you're having all these different ideas come to you that uh, may be related to the lecture, let's have a channel for that, and uh, let's not, you know, uh, eliminate that creativity. Mm. Like so, even a parking lot, like where you where you just write the ideas down. Oh, you bet. Yeah, write it down. You can if, go back to it and channel if, it. If your notes can be not just the content of what you're hearing, but how you're interacting with the material and your questions about it, and you know, you're drawing connections to previous, you know, work experiences and what you're going to do in the in the future. Yeah. That's a more interactive, uh, you know, dialogue that, that you're having in, in in a lecture that, that can help you retain things and help you stay more engaged. Which, look at the irony. So you can't focus, yet you might be able to retain mm-hmm. the memory deeper if you, because of how your mind works. You'll churn it through a lot of different parts if you can keep coming back to it. You bet. You bet. It's elaboration. So the more and more we elaborate on uh, with new material we're receiving and we relate it to what we already know, the better but we're going to retain it. Yeah. We're going to retain it. So people always think that ADHD people aren't focused, and, and I, su- I suppose that's true, but they're always focused on something. It's yeah. not just what, what everyone else is, is focused on. So if you can channel that and use that, you know, that, that that's the way to do it. And, that's, and that, again, I guess is why early diagnostic, or, uh, diagnosis is helpful because – if you're just a problem child, you know, and I remember growing up when oh, you, everyone knew the kid, that mm-hmm. kid mm-hmm. that couldn't focus, that ate erasers, yep. and um, the nurse would come get him every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but what it is to know it that early with these other tools could be life changing. Otherwise, you might just be seen as the crazy, hyperactive, distractive incapable person. Your your whole identity could grow differently. Oh, you bet. I, I can't tell you how many students not just suffer from ADHD, but have have this kind of comorbid depression and anxiety along with it. And oh. they feel like they can't reach their goals. And, you know, their families told them the whole life. Uh, and this isn't every family, of course, yeah. but, uh, you know, a few families told them that, you know, stop being lazy, yeah. you know, um, get off your butt and do something. Right. Um, and so it's a, it's a complicated issue, and there's a disorder, you know, at the crux of it. And I, I think from the outside, it's hard to see that. 
when I speak at the prison here at Utah State Prison, so many of them, I mean, so many of them, I bet would be diagnosed with either anxiety, mm-hmm. just depression, or ADHD. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet you 70%. Oh, you bet. Be- especially because a lot of the, in the drug groups, um, and they use the drugs because they, some of the, some of the amphetamines actually enhance their abilities. Yet, you sit there mm-hmm. and you think, and you don't even know you have the disorder and you're self-medicating it. It's weird because some cultures will use – we're so mad at the culture that uses methamphetamine. But you know, other kids that are being diagnosed are, are also using a stimulant to make sure that they can think properly. We've got to get serious about understanding what our kids are going through or we're going to create traumatized kids that think they're just a waste. Yeah, you bet, you bet, and and um, you know, there's a lot of concerns about medication, and that um, you know, kids are over medicated, and and I can see you know where those uh, you know where there's where those individuals are coming from yeah, with yeah. that. I mean, it it is a controlled substance, yeah. So sharing it with a friend is a felony, <laughs> um, but it, it's uh, you know very different from something like methamphetamine, right? Exactly. Um, uh, although some well, and, and two, yeah, illegally. Mm-hmm. Created and right. distributed, and when I when I sit there and I look at, uh, I just look at the psychology of a person that was diagnosed with it in junior high or whatever, and has been had a family unite around him and find the tools mm-hmm. compared to those that were just ostracized and seen as just mm-hmm. lazy. Yeah, in that in in that first example, yeah, all of a sudden that kid has hope yeah. for being successful, doing better in school. You know, um, having a successful career, and they might have not felt that hope before. Yeah, yeah. you bet. And I bet you, yeah. And then you you get to deal with that <laughs> at this level, at the school level. What are some other um, tricks of the trade? What are some other tools you suggest that we use to manage our ADHD? Well, I'd say um, techniques uh, for studying are huge because that takes up, you know, so much of your your day, and you have so much to to do. So I really encourage my students to, you know, even if you feel like you have so much to do, don't subscribe to the thought of, okay, this is a marathon. You know, I need to just keep going and keep going. It really should be a series of small sprints where you're giving yourself good, solid, planned breaks. And you know when the next break is coming up. And um, uh, some students really hesitate to do that because they feel like that kind of – eliminates the momentum that they were having or they're already into it. But but really, if if you keep going and if you keep studying, fatigue becomes more of a risk. And the time to battle fatigue is before it ever sets in. Right. So there's a, there's a psychologist by the name of Anders Erickson who's at Florida State University. And he's an expert on experts. He studies what sets experts apart from just people who are, you know, good at their craft. Mm-hmm. And one of the most common... Um, themes that he's noticed in his research is that these experts have the knack to fully engage in the task at hand. And then just as important, they can fully disengage. And they do that in a very planned way. So there's there's not a lot of middle ground there. Yeah. So if we can if we can do the same thing while we're studying, you know, we're gonna have better spurts of time where we're 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 focused and engaged. And even though the the total quantity might go down, your quality of studying should really increase. Interesting. Can, yeah. The sprinter mentality is a great mentality. Mm-hmm. And it seems, too, that if you also are in a field that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. you probably can just keep 
you might even need shorter sprints. Like, I mean, like, oh, a, you bet. Yeah. a tiny sprint. But if you're passionate about it, it seems like that would keep you interested. Oh, you bet. So, yeah, most students feel some uh, variability from task to task. Some things they can focus a little better on, others that they can't. I, I get this a lot when, you know, we get the GE courses, the general education uh. courses. Um, you know, that aren't directly related to their major. Um, so if someone feels that they can go a little further and study a little longer when they're, let's say, reading a novel that's really interesting to them, go for it and kind of experiment with testing those boundaries a bit. Um, but but the idea is to have kind of a, a, a you know, a, a planned um, break coming up so you can see the light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. And But you can certainly vary that from task to task. And you got to know yourself, right? I mean, exactly right. that's the key to this is we think we're in competition with everyone else. Mm-hmm. But really, the biggest competition is just with yourself. You've got to know you're, you're the only you you got the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we figure some of these things out, you can start getting better out of you, more out of you. Exactly right. Exactly right. And and I can honestly say that each of my coaching experiences are are very different depending on the strengths and the weaknesses of that that individual. There's a lot of themes that, you know, um, cut across all my coaching experiences, but yeah, everyone's their their own person. They're doing it. They're mm-hmm. they're making it happen. As we wrap this up, uh, Doctor Allred, what would you say what would you say to anybody out there that's listening that uh, has has ADHD, has been diagnosed with it? Maybe they're not quite acting on it as much as but they know it's impacting their lives from I guess 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds up to 80-year-olds. What mm-hmm. what would you say to them? I'd first say talk to someone about it, whether that's a counselor, whether that's someone like me, a coordinator at the Accessibility Center, or whether that's a spouse or a friend. There's just something about making it uh, known. Yeah. And and after that point, just developing a plan, some sort of plan, You know, whether it's strategies or looking into medication or coaching. Um, to find some help and to really tackle it head on. I mean, there's hope. Mm-hmm. And there's you can be just as successful as anyone else. I mean, I'm sure there are surgeons with ADHD. Oh, you bet, you bet. I yeah. mean, there's, there's every profession with ADHD. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of professions uh, like entrepreneurs, um, a lot of businessmen. Um, yeah. If we look at the arts, you know, people with ADHD are more attracted to those certain fields. And part of the reason is because they're better at yeah. some of those certain fields. They, they really have some great strengths that can be applied in these different areas. Well, we appreciate you. Um, and everybody listen to the good words of Dr. Aaron Allred uh, here at the BYU's Accessibility Center. All of us, we've we've got something to offer, and uh, we've also probably got a you know I call it a hole, some hole that's also slowing us down. The key is let's understand more and more how we can uh, be the best that we can be. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a sad story out of Chicago, and it just shows us that not everybody that's forgetful has ADHD. A Chicago woman said her dead mother's remains might have been buried by the wrong family.
Is this funeral? What is this like? Mortuary music? Yes. Okay. Well, there was a there was a, a mix up at the Leak and Sons funeral home. However, Monique Williams said she still can't be sure the Southside Funeral Home found her mother's remains. Its staff allegedly presented her with multiple bodies as she prepared to honor her mother's memory over the weekend. Ella Mae Rutledge's funeral was Saturday, and it just became a memorial service when her body couldn't be found. Oh. Williams said she arrived at the Leak and Sons with other members of her family Friday evening to approve the body before the mother's visitation, but when staff presented the remains to her, she said she thought that that didn't look anything like mom. She said she pulled back the wig and found black hair underneath. Her mom had gray hair. She said staff at the funeral home began to show her other bodies and put her mother's dress on at least one other corpse in a frantic attempt to find Rutledge's remains. Oh, that's tragic. You lost their mother. Sad. They also showed her a picture of a body that had been buried Friday, which was which has uh, since been exhumed. But Williams said she might require a DNA test to be sure it's her mother. <sighs> How did the other family mistakenly bury that woman's mother? <laughs> like, man, mom looked horrible. She didn't even look like herself. That's so sad. Anyway, it's sad. See, folks, you got to focus. We got to focus. And you can't just blame it all on ADHD, right? We, you can't just make fun of people that make mistakes. Everybody's making a mistake once in a while. Um, anyway, my son would just say, you've got one job. One job. Well, we wish the best to the Rutledge family. And hopefully they uh, can find their mom and put her to rest. Uh, it's um, tough. We'll take a break, folks. That's our number two of the Matt Townsend Show. One more. We got a, a lot of great uh, tools and guests coming up for you next hour. I'm telling you, next hour we'll be talking about communication in your relationships. It's not just about that. There's more to intimate relationships than just talking. Stick with us, folks. We'll have a, a great guest on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Got a great show for you today. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need to lead your life. Right? I mean, I can't do everything for you, but I can bring you some experts that can give you insight into the things you're struggling with. So far today, we've already talked about the fact that your cars and all of the hands-free devices may be killing you because they distract you two times more than your cell phones do which are four times more than just driving normal. So it's two times more than drunk driving. All these new gadgets in your cars, they could be causing problems for you. We also just talked about attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and uh, some tools for you, your family, your kids to be able to uh, handle and manage that better. Again, you can go get all of the podcasts. If you missed any of those shows, go back to iTunes or tune in or go to BYUradio.org. 
Or just go to our Twitter feed, for heaven's sakes. That'll at least get you started on where to go. Uh, Twitter feed is at Dr. Matt Show. I uh, had an interesting few days. Uh, got called up to the big leagues. Um, left Salt Lake City, went back to, to Beantown, and uh, went to Fenway. Did a little batting practice. The video is currently the featured post on your Twitter page. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to brag, but I got some chops. There were some chop hits. I hit 10 balls. There were 10 balls pitched to me from the batting cages underneath Fenway Park. It's a cage. There's only one place to hit. And it smelled, by the way, mm. like a hockey locker room. You ever smell the hockey locker room? No. You but do, I could imagine. You do not want to smell. I've smelled high school football locker okay, room. Okay, so it's like that, but yeah. in hockey, I think they sweat a lot more. More than, yeah, probably. Oh, it's oh, really gross. Excuse me. Really gross. Uh, anyway, I you can go to the Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show, and you can see me, you know, I fanned one, mm. second pitch, and first pitch I hit, second pitch. That was just the pitcher keeping you honest, just backing you up a little bit. It was. You're, you're I think crowd, he moved the, the strike zone. I, I totally was. <laughs> <laughs> I totally was. Crowding the plate a bit. Get anyway, it back up there, man. I'm going pro. I'm, little... I'm, I'm pretty sure. They looked at me, and I met. I got to meet Tim Wakefield, the knuckler, the knuckleball thrower. We didn't, have, we didn't have time to go practice my knuckle. Right. You could show him a couple of things? Yeah, I was going to show him that. Uh, well, hey, Tim, what if you did this? You know, Tim, if you would just move your fingers two inches to the left. That's right after he said, Tim, will you scratch my back? I'm like two inches to the left, please. That's all I could do for Tim. Anyway, it was a fun time. But I'm pretty sure I missed my calling in life. But I don't want to brag. But I don't want to brag. <sighs> if I had just made more money, I probably could have bought uh, a personalized thumbprint rug. Did you hear this? Yeah, really, really odd. I had to look it up to see exactly what, it, what we're talking about. Forget a selfie. With this thumbprint carpet... 3500 bucks, by the way, from a New York rug designer, Joseph Carini. He's found a way to satisfy the demand for self-immortalization. I mean, I just have a family, grandkids for that. Right. But A legacy. Apparently, yes. you can just get a rug. You can get a rug. It, you, what you do is you get a digital image of your thumbprint, and then they blow it up to room size, and then it's sent to weavers in Nepal who will then make a rug with your thumbprint on it. Why don't you just look at your thumb? Because this is a rug. Oh, okay. Well, and my thumb can't be with my wife. You know that my wife is going to want to sit on my thumbprint all day and just look at it. Right. You can't decorate a room by just looking at it. You have to send it to Nepal. I guess I wouldn't know that because I don't have a wife or a home. So Or maybe, a rug. You don't even have a rug. Yeah, maybe maybe when I grow up a little bit. Do you have a thumbprint? Um, he's burned them off for security reasons. Because he's so. You're, I'm pretty sure you have one, so you're 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 kind of getting there. Yeah, I mean, but it's always with me. I can't take a rug with yeah. me everywhere. So you can't be immortalized. I guess. Sorry. Not. But I saw this, and it's it's another example of. I love excess, your carpet, but it's I don't know. It seems that design. Like a, it's such a unique gift, though, because it's you. Yeah. Do you want your thumbprint out there like that? No. Then everyone would recognize your thumbprint. Hey, wait a second. Hold it. I think I see it. Hey, happy pizza with the works except anchovies day. Do you like anchovies? No. You had them before? No. What do you think I am? A fish? 
I I mistakenly had pizza with anchovies. Did you like it? Yeah, it was pretty good. No, really? Yeah, because they're kind of salty, so it gives you that extra little flavor with the pizza. Have you tried fries? Well, yeah, but not I mean, less fishy. I, it's less fishy. They're, they're they yummy. I was surprised they weren't really that fishy. Are they bad? I mean, like it was it was with the works though. Oh. So you got that whole you know yeah. mess of toppings well, and everything, and it mixed in, and it was kind of a good flavor. One of my I favorite Caesar dressing has anchovies in it. Don't do anchovy pizza. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Yeah, I would never do that. No, but if you did the works and it's mixed in, it's a, it's a nice. So, but this flavor. is my day: pizza with the works, except anchovies. Hmm. By the way, a little uh, little news for you. I saw Paul Revere's house, and did you know that in, Paul Revere lives in the little Italy of of Boston? Well, now, no, I'm pretty sure back then too. It's, really, back there, then there was there were there was I don't know how many restaurants all Italian. It is the greatest smelling street <laughs> in you, America. Ah, oh, seriously, Boston, you won my heart. I had a cannelloni just stuffed with oh mm-hmm. the best stuff. Oh, anyway, I think I'm hungry. It sounds um, like it. Anyway, it was fun. So I, I, if I'm not here tomorrow, I probably I'm probably going to back to Austin. I'm probably trying out for the okay. Red Sox. Yeah, they they're big on 46 year old pro players, right? I, I I've been reading that they are looking for the best 46 year old they could find. I watch it, Ben. Because the best part of did you see Ben just perk up like the, he never perks up during the show, and then right then he's like, he what? just perked right up. The what? future of any franchise is in a forty-six-year-old man, don't you think? Absolutely affordable. Yeah, I got a couple more years on these hips, especially one with human development background. I know I could sit on the bench. I could be like, tell me how you're feeling. I mean, they already have a real doctor, but I mean, what do you mean a real doctor? You know, doctors that like actually fix ailments and people and body parts and stuff. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm not like a medical doctor. Yeah. But I'm a doctor of the brain. But you can heal people like emotionally Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. inside. Help them find what is bothering them. Right. If a guy's out there and all of a sudden he's just striking out left and right, you can figure out what the problem is. (laughs) Or a catcher can't throw it back to, you know, what was it in uh, Major League? The guy couldn't throw it back to home plate. Yeah. Because he had this mental block. And once they figured it out, he was able to do it. So you could help with that. I, I could. I and would. You could, and you could back clean up. Yeah. Like Mookie. Hey, Mookie. Sit down, brother. And then you could come in, be the closer, throwing some, closer. Throwing some heat to just close out the game. I don't know if I'll be a pitcher. Send the Yankees packing. I haven't you could pitched do that. much. I'm, gonna, I'm probably just going to be – I might be a designated hitter. Okay. You know? Maybe they'll have me be a – I mean, I can, I steal, I can steal those, bases. Those guys tend to be not necessarily athletes, but baseball players. Yeah. So that well, might work. I well, ever know. since my plantar is better, I just run like the wind. That was that was a concern of some of our, our producers: is how would your plantar hold up no. under baseball conditions? Well, it's fixed. Okay, I can just see David and I, David Ortiz and I, Poppy <laughs> Dave, sitting, David just, just sitting, chewing some some gum. Sunflower seeds. Yeah, spitting sunflower. Having a little sunflower seed fight. Yeah, yeah. Spitting them on each other. Just the hijinks of the of the locker room. <laughs> yeah, just steal. I'll steal his hat and run away. You know, shaving yeah. cream pies after home runs because oh, that's what you do. I know, I know. When I'm like when I'm doing a news, yeah, I'll, yeah, you're I'll getting interviewed. And they'll come and hit you with the shaving cream pie because you know they're teammates. Your brothers. It's fun. I think it's happening. 
And I don't want to. I don't want to get too far ahead of now, myself. Now, what would you do in like the bench clearing situation? Oh, I like. I'd, do you run out there full of intention, no, or what, do you do you just sort of make your way out so no. you're one of the last guys kind of streaming in from the outfield? What or I would do, I'd hit the shot. I mean, I'd hit the bathroom. Okay, because that's when everyone's gone. So you know, you know, it's open. There's no lines. Yeah. So I'm going to go then, and then I'd run out. And you then come when out they're, like, when oh. they're all coming off, I'd be like, "What the? What's going on? It makes me sick. Can't believe they did that." And then I'd talk them down off the wall. There you go. See? Refocus the team. See? Oh, you could totally play you guys, baseball. I think you think it's not real, but when I was hitting, they looked at me like, are you for real? Like, Check the video. Like, wow, that guy got, he can hit for power. <laughs> we have no idea. Okay, uh, let's get to the headlines. Any headlines other than me playing pro ball? Speaking of sports. Yes. FanDuel DraftKings. They're fantasy sport websites that we've talked about. Two leaders in the fast-growing daily fantasy sports market vowing to fight efforts by New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman to shut down, shut them down on the grounds they're operating in an illegal sporting bet operation. It's not some new variation on the traditional fantasy sports. It's just a variation on illegal online gambling, and you can't do that in New York State. That's Schneiderman there. He sent the company's a cease and desist letter on Wednesday, ordering them to quit operating in New York. The industry has five days to persuade him to defer legal action. So we'll see where that goes. As the 2016 primaries draw near, this cycle's presidential candidates offer voters a diversity of options in terms of age, race, sex, experience, and religion. But Americans aren't equally interested in sampling all those choices. While nearly 7 in 10 would happily vote a woman into the Oval Office, and Latino identity is a positive, especially among Republicans, socialism doesn't get, a clear, doesn't get clear support even among self-identified liberal Democrats. Fewer than 40% of Democrats of all stripes say they would definitely vote for a socialist candidate like Bernie Sanders, and opposition hits 50% among independents, voters, and 77% among Republicans. Wow. So Bernie has an uphill battle. Yeah. Even in his own party. Joe's Crab Shack is doing away with gratuities at 18 of its more than 130 restaurants in more than 30 states, said the parent company. The company is testing the results of the pilot program, which will involve increasing menu costs for the added labor expense. That said, the price hikes are typically less than the average 20% service tip. Employees will be paid higher fixed hourly wages, which the company said it expects will result in an improved team atmosphere and reduced turnover. Hmm. So they're testing out no tipping and seeing how that will work and then adding that gratuity back into the price of the food anyways. Well, it works for me. Then I don't have to do the 20% thing. So my wife said, she goes, no math? Awesome. Let's just eat dinner. I like it already. New federal data released Thursday showed that the percentage of Americans who were obese had not declined in recent years despite efforts like uh, First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign. About 38% of U.S. adults were obese in 2013 and 2014, a slight increase from 35% in 2011 and 2012. Health experts had hoped that improvements in the American diet in recent years would help level off obesity. Mm. But, you know, people eat food. Mm. Uh, one lucky seven-year-old now has two rare colored diamonds named after her. Cool. Lucky. One of which holds the world's auction record for the most expensive diamond ever, sold at $48 million. Hong Kong billionaire and real estate tycoon Joseph Lau broke records Wednesday night when he snatched up the 12-carat blue moon diamond and a 16-carat pink diamond. They sold for a combined $77 million at separate auctions in Geneva. 
Lau promptly renamed the stones Blue Moon of Josephine and Sweet Josephine, respectively, after his daughter. They were both given to the seven-year-old. Lau has done this before, gifting very expensive diamonds to his 13-year-old daughter in the past. Hmm. So there's a seven-year-old with $77 million diamonds. Do you think she gets to play with them, or do you think they're in a vault? Honey, put your diamonds away. <laughs> we're having dinner. Put your diamonds away. Things diamonds they've never said at the town. Diamonds home. not at the table, honey. Come on. <laughs> Do not make me take your diamonds. Now, go get in the go get in the car. Go get in the limousine. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Richard Nicastro will be joining us and he's going to be walking us through why talking's great. You got to know how to communicate if you're going to be in a in a relationship, but what might matter more is what you're talking about and the depth of your questions, the depth of the insight you're getting out of the conversation. Stick with us, folks, giving you the tools you need to live longer and uh, love stronger. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, when you go out to eat, you know, with that significant other, that your cute little honey, what question can you always expect from the waiter? Probably something along the lines of, how are you doing tonight? Or the grocery store. You can probably expect the cashier to ask you, uh, are you enjoying the weather? Well, how much do these questions deepen your relationship with these people that you're talking to? In all honesty, you will never uh, likely meet or even think about that waiter or cashier again. If these questions don't deepen the relationship with the stranger, how likely are they to deepen your relationship with your spouse or your loved one? Psychologist and couples counselor Dr. Richard Nicastro suggests that maybe intimate relationships require more than good communication, and maybe good communication is more than just asking surface-level questions. He says sometimes questions take us into familiar territory and our responses are quickly accessed and known to us. But questions about our emotional life direct us inward. These questions require work, but uh, they also take us beyond the superficial. Let's uh, bring on Dr. Uh, Richard Nicastro, our guest today, to talk to us about asking these deeper, more rich questions. Uh, Dr. Nicastro, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's an honor to have you on board. And again, anybody can they can go to your website, strengthenyourrelationship.com, to get any information about you. But Richard, talk to us about this. It's so true. We we use these trite little phrases, don't we? Like, how was your day, hun? We say to our spouse. But it just it, it just kind of automatically puts us right back into the same thought. Yeah, and those, you know that those patterns really create a rut. And we end up coasting um, and acting very differently with our partner or our spouse the way we do with our coworkers or our bosses, um, where we're more willing to give ourselves and ask those deeper, more important questions, or even push ourselves beyond our comfort level. But once we're with our partner, um, we want it to be easy. We want it to be comfortable. We had a hard day at work. We maybe had a hard day with the kids. And we end up not doing the work that relationships require. Mm, that's and so and true. I hear that a lot from couples. I hear that we don't talk anymore, or we don't have meaningful conversations, or we just go through a checklist of 
what happened at your day, you know, through, through your day. And it's literally running down kind of an itemized, you know, account of what happened without the person bringing him or herself into the picture about how they felt about what happened, how they reacted. Did it make them angry, sad, afraid? Huh. It really is. It's a. It's an effort, and it's. It's. It's hard. This isn't easy. You know, if you've had a long day, you kind of like a superficial little trite phrase, but um, in the end, if we're always making it easy, then we're not probably gaining the strength, are we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, that's right. And there, because there's different ways of or levels of of connecting. And questions are the gateway to seeing the other person and discovering the other person. And part of what happens, Matt, is that when you're with someone five years, ten years, you're convinced you know everything there is to know about that person. Mm. So why even ask questions? Right. We start, we, you know, we all make the mistake. We start mind reading. We know what, what my wife thinks or what my husband thinks. And that really short circuits you know, effective communication also. And not that all communicate. And I tell this to the, the, the couples that I work with, let's be realistic. Not every conversation needs to be a heavy, in-depth conversation. That, in all honesty, that would be exhausting. You can't do that. You need time to kind of skid on the surface and unwind and relax. But if you're doing that day after day, then you're not really connecting and, you know, what the research is showing is that couples that get into that pattern, one or bo- both partners start to feel lonely in the relationship. And, you know, that's one of the great paradoxes and most devastating emotional experiences for couples, to be in a relationship and yet to feel lonely. Yeah. To see the person that you love and know that you're not reaching each other at some level. Mm. Yeah, and there you are, you know, sleeping in bed, and yet you're 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 so close yet so so far away. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. The the, the physical proximity. Um, don't be fooled by it. I mean, many couples feel, you know, especially the couples that that end up in in counseling, they just feel so disconnected from each other. And I want to I want to highlight that phrase, disconnected. Um, you know, when couples come to see me, they say, you know, I, I, I want to be happy in my marriage. And, and, and I redirect them. You want, you want to feel connected in your relationship. Happiness will ebb and flow like any emotion that we experience. And happiness is also, you know, very often contingent upon external events. But when you're connected with your partner, there's a deep sense of, of meaning, closeness, and togetherness that facilitates happiness. It also acts as a buffer to stress or if, if a couple is dealing with some, some loss or some tragedy. So, you know, the operative word here is we want communication um, through, you know, communication to build a sense of togetherness, mm. of closeness. And words and communication, Matt, is just one way that couples achieve that. Right. You know, there's many different forms of communication. Holding hands, touch is a very, very powerful form of communication that expresses deep feeling. 
So you should know, you know, what is your partner's pathways to connection? Is it words and questions and sharing? Is it touch? Is it maybe doing a shared activity together, going for a walk? Hmm. Is it food? <laughs> Mine's always food. It's pathetic. <laughs> yeah, food is a, is a <laughs> wonderful connector and, and you know, um, the dining experience is, you know, is a ritual that brings people together. Yeah. Um, but even there now, that, I'm glad you brought that up. I, you know, the big thing for many, met, many couples come to me and they know we're stressed, we're beleaguered, we're work, both working, we have the kids, we're, you know, parenting, you know, almost 24-7 it feels like. And, and we want to have a date night. So date night now is a very, very popular concept. And what I see happening there, Matt, is that when the couple goes to their date night, they bring their same beleaguered selves with the same superficial questions to the date night, and it ends up really flopping. Mm. And they'll come back to me, and they said, yeah, we had dinner, the food was good, and yes, we told each other, you look great, you know, in your new outfit. Uh, but we didn't really connect. And then I asked them, well, what did you talk about? Well, we talked about work, we talked about the kids, we talked about, you know, the, you know, the stress of finances. So they have the same stressful conversations on date night that they have, you know, Monday through yeah. Friday. And, and even if it's not the same words, it might too. We just – we keep seeing it as the exact same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, you want, your, you want to be able to, to download your stress with your partner and, and get support. And that's very, very important. That person, we should be there for each other in that way. But when that's all you do or when that's 90% of your conversations, then you're becoming each other's therapist. Right. And then you're going to want to go out with your friends more and more because you're associating your friends with lightheartedness. You'll have a good time. You'll laugh. But then you come back to your, your, your wife or your husband and you'll feel this sense of heaviness. And this may all be unconscious. You may not even be aware of this. And you're like, oh, all right, I'm home again. Here we are. Because at some level, you're anticipating the same routine, mm -hmm. the same stress conversations, the same complaints. So I really encourage couples when you're having these conversations and you're asking questions, um, you know, don't, don't overlook the positives that exist in your relationship. Don't stop dreaming with each other. You know, one of the most powerful questions couples could ask each other is, where do we see ourselves a year from now, mm. five years from now, when the kids leave, when we retire? You know, future-oriented questions. There, there's past-oriented questions, and then there's, you know, reminiscing, and, 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 which is very important. Yeah. So especially around the good times, not just kind of recycling through the pain and the wounding that often occurs. Mm. But some future-oriented questions. Let's, um, let's do this, Richard. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll just take a quick break and then come back, and I'd love to have you keep talking about uh, the questions. We can, we can ask kind of the future-oriented, the past ones, and uh, how do we take our questions deeper so our conversations can follow? We're speaking with Dr. Richard Nicastro, author of the book Communication Breakthrough, A Couple's Communication Guide. Uh, a great resource you can find at strengthenyourrelationship.com. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you want uh, healthier, intimate relationships, you got to be able to communicate. But it's not just about being able to talk. You got to be able to also go deeper in your conversations. Instead of just the hi, how you doing, we got to get deeper into, uh, you know, some of the more intimate issues, the intimate questions, um, and, and see if we can't use our questions to influence our discussions, which could eventually influence the relationship, right? Dr. Richard Nicastro joins us on the phone here. He is the author of the book, Communication Breakthrough, A Couple's Guide, Communication Guide. And uh, you can go find him on the website, strengthenyourrelationship.com. He's walking us through some of the questions that we could be asking that would deepen our relationship. So instead of just going to dinner and you know falling into the default about your kids, you could go into your past, he's taught us. And we'll we'll have him review that and go into the future. Dr. Richard Nicastro, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. So you were suggesting we could go backwards by asking, you know, and, and kind of reminiscing, talking about all the good old times, what happened when things were great and when things were working. You also suggested we could go into the future by asking and talking about things like where do we see our relationship in five years when the kids are gone? What do you? Where do we want to be as a couple? Yeah, and both of those, Matt, both of those are, are in, important. Um, where couples get stuck are they, they overuse information, what I call information exchange questions. What happened today? How was your day? Did you drop the kids off? Hmm. Is, is little Mikey over, over his cold? And those are, you know, important Conversations, but if, the, if they stay at that level of just exchanging information, um, there's an emotional void that exists, and that's you know when you hear, you know when you hear couples complain about we don't have meaningful conversations anymore, it's usually because they're stuck at the information exchange level. Hmm. So it's true because everything's like transactional. Can you pick up the kids? Oh yeah, we got to get groceries. Oh, the the furnace filter needs to be changed. And none of that is about our intimacy or our communing and getting closer. Absolutely. And those, you know what? That's life. Those are the the maintenance life issues and questions and that, you know, we cannot scrap that. We need that. We need that to keep the household, you know, moving, functioning and and the busy lives that hmm. couples have. But if they just stay at that level, um, so what I suggest for, for couples, and this is interesting because what I'm hearing more and more from, from the couples I work with is we're so glad to be here in your office because this is the only time during the week that we end up talking yeah. about, about something meaningful. And that really struck me. That that's like wow. Basically, yeah. Basically, you guys are paying me. Yeah, top dollar <laughs> to... for for an hour just to 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 kind of block out the kids and the stresses of work and have you focus on each other. Why can't you do that at home? Have your own counseling session at home, but don't be focusing on heavy heavy issues. So the first thing that I, I tell couples is you have to create an orbit or a space around your relationship, you know, at least once, hopefully more than one time a week, where you come together and you have the reminiscing, hey, I, you know what, I, when I first met you, you know what I really loved about you? Mm. Your sense of humor, yeah. your this or your that. 
and really focus on and highlight the positives that exist, but also then bring it into the future. And you still have that smile. You still have that sense of humor. You still have that sense of commitment. And you know what? I might not have said this in a while to you, but I really appreciate that. So the reminiscing questions are very, very important. Now, distressed couples tend to reminisce about the, you know, the problem areas. Right. And, and they get stuck there. It's like the old LPs, a scratch on an LP that keeps skipping there. And that just fuels negativity, negativity, and, and they pull apart at some point. They pull apart from each other in a self-protective move. You know, basically, this is too painful for me hmm. to keep cycling through this with you. Um, and it wears your equipment down, right? It wears you out. You're tired. Right. You're, it, and nobody wants to hear a record that's going to keep skipping. Absolutely. It puts us in a chronic stress response. Our body is literally in a chronic stress response, and it takes a toll on our health, the research shows. High blood pressure ulcers, a whole host of of physical ailments occur when couples get caught in those negative cycles. Mm. So to kind of disengage from that, um, and this takes work. Um, you know, I have couples focus on the reminiscing part, the good, the, 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 what you were drawn to. And one, one thing I do with them also is if you, were, um, if you were going to put out, an, if you were going to date today, how would you sell yourself? What strengths do you see in yourself? And they'll talk about it, and they'll talk about it. And then I'll ask, do you bring those strengths out with your partner after 10 years of marriage or 20 years of marriage? And very often they feel sheepish because they don't. They're willing to sell themselves in this, in this myth, you know, hypothetical situation to someone new to bring the, their best self forward. And then that helps them realize, hey, I'm not bringing my best self forward in these conversations with my, my, my spouse. Um, so that's the reminiscing questions. And then the future-oriented questions. Um, you know, future-oriented questions really um, get us, it creates a movement within us. It creates a motivation. It's what are your goals? What do you want to reach for? And now we all have, you know, career goals, maybe, you know, health goals, exercise goals. Um, so couples are surprised when I ask, what are your goals as a couple? You know, because many of them are like, well, we, we courted each other and we won each other. We, we've achieved the pinnacle of success. What else do we need? Right. And that's, that means that, okay, you, you're, th you're thinking and your motivation has leveled off. You reached where you wanted to be, and now you're coasting. Um, but you know what? And, and this, this is important um, that I highlight with couples also. You're, you're evolving as individuals, and the relationship is trying to evolve also. And if you don't look at it that way, you're going to keep it stuck, and one or both of you are going to feel the fallout from that. So think goal-oriented. Yeah. You know, it could, be, it could be the weekend. What do we want to do for the right. weekend? And, and, and by the way, it could be also, as I just think about it, um, to Dr. Nicastro, it's there's it's it's like a, it's like anybody driving. It's a captain of a ship. We got to be looking ahead. We can't just be so caught up in what's happening on the ship that we're not paying attention to the icebergs. But planning ahead, looking ahead, oh, great stuff. And we we're, we gotta we gotta take a break. Um, 
But let's do this. We got to have you back and continue the discussion about the deepening of our conversations through questioning. Really, uh, go check out his work and his website. The website is strengthenyourrelationship.com. And you got to go look at the book, Communication Breakthrough, A Couple's Communication Guide by Dr. Richard Nicastro. Good stuff, folks. Trying to help you uh, love a little bit stronger one, um, one conversation at a time. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU uh, Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. One time in Park City, I saw this band, Augustana, for free. Fantastic band. Did you really? performed in Deer Valley with Switchfoot. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was in the middle of February. It was freezing cold. But worth it. It was a Monday night, but it was really fun. And they weren't a big thing, but that was their, you know, that, that was their big hit. Do you know... Um, and you went to Boston. I went How to Boston, it? and I... Oh... Here's the deal. I need your I need your advice. So I saw Fenway Park. We I toured Fenway. Fenway I got packed. Amazing. Uh, incredible. We um, I got to meet meet Tim Wakefield, the knuckleballer. Oh, nice. You met Tim Wakefield. I've got a oh, I got an that autograph dude's ball. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. And uh, and then I got to go hit balls in the batting cage. No. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's on. If you go to my Twitter page at Doctor Matt Show, you can see me hit. Well, I hit I, – I fanned one of them. It, it was really bad lighting. And they were 100-mile fastballs. And you I hit – I, I, I fouled off about four. Right now. And I hit about five. No, that's 40 <laughs> that's miles a, an that's hour. That's 100 miles an hour. That's 40 we miles an hour. No, 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 no. no it's no, like looping. No, we, we, we slowed it down. Uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> slow-mo slow version. It's probably – it's like 60 miles an hour. But do you like my hip movement? I do, yeah. Here's the big thing. Don't you think Boston Red Sox need a 46-year-old DH? They already have that in David Ortiz. <laughs> hey, the New York Yankees did that with Billy Crystal in spring training a few years back. Oh. Will Farrell played for 10 different teams in one day. I yeah, know. Matt, are you the next guy in line? I would that? love that. I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm actually from Boston, and I was, like, You're pretty sure? misplaced. Yeah. I relate to Boston a lot now. You know what's interesting about that city? What? And I've never felt it anywhere else. Even though it's a huge city, uh-huh. it felt like a small town community. To yes. Me. The people are so nice. And the roads nice. are small town too. They are. They're tiny. <laughs> Can I just traffic. suggest, last time I went, don't don't drive a Ford Expedition. Oh my goodness. I, I had a Ford like, Expedition through. like packing downtown. It's like right? packing right on top of cars. Yeah. It oh, was yeah, the greatest take the thing. the red line. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm. I'm. There's a. There's a shot. I don't want to like confirm it, but they looked at me like when I was talking mm-hmm. to Tim Wakefield. He looked at me like this you guy catch my kind of like this guy's ball. special. That's how he looked at well, me. Yeah, we know that. He's like he's like. There's just something about this guy. And I then, watched a documentary called Knuckleball. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw. Featured it. him very mm-hmm. heavily. Yeah. Incredible. 
Isn't that an amazing what pitch? What he did with that pitch—it's mm-hmm. counter. He's so successful. Yeah. It's it's actually it's NASA has been looking at it because they don't think it's actually phys- in physics. It breaks all the laws. <laughs> oh my goodness! My sister lives in Brockton. Really? Yeah. So you go there often? Brockton. I went there this often summer and visited. It is the greatest. I'm I'm serious. Yeah. I'm and I'm a pro ball player. I'm just I'm pretty sure that that's where I'm going next. Awesome. You know. I'm trying to remember where, like, when my wife and I visited in the summer of 2011. Mm. Yes. Bing! So she was seven months pregnant. She walked the, <laughs> yeah, freedom, trail, the freedom Trail seven months pregnant. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, we did that. Labor. Had so much fun at the first Red Sox game she went to. She chose standing room only after she walked the Freedom Are you trail serious? On a Monday night. So she just went and stood it. She wanted to go into labor. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I went into the press box. I got to sit in the press box. I'm telling you. That's cool. It's, I, they almost, they, if, if security hadn't found me, I would have spent the night there because I was hiding. It is a magical place. Anyway, um, uh, anything else going on? Did you guys, uh, anything going on while I was gone? Anything new? No. Jeremy, got anything? No. <sighs> Sounds no, pretty boring. You know, I, there there is something on. I just There's I did not find. Anything going on at Missouri? Did you? No, I mean, I mean, that's not even. Oh my goodness! I was I was Missouri. Are we still playing? Yeah, playing. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, you know, anything? I mean, it seems like people are still mad. <laughs> you guys didn't solve that while I was gone. Well, the thing we know is that BYU and Missouri are playing in football. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> Missouri revealed this morning that they're wearing uh, all white uniforms this mm-hmm. weekend. That and, and Timely, BYU timeliness not considered. Man. I know that I, seems. I, I don't know. Racist right there. Is uh, um is what what color is BYU wearing? What was that? What color will BYU be wearing? I don't, uh, are they I going assume, with an all black? The, uh, the white top is typically what they go with, and then blue pants on the road. Yeah, but that just seems weird. White on white. Yeah. It the cool the cool thing is there's a lot around this game, right? Yeah, and that's. Uh, you know, non-sports stuff. The sports part of it is that BYU has an opportunity to beat an SEC team this week, oh. and with a lot of people paying attention to this. Yeah, game. let's go, man. Let's maximize it. BYU can't control the no. situation that they're walking into. What they can control is go there, represent, get an eighth win, beat an SEC team. Brent Musburger's on the call, legendary broadcaster. Oh wow, and a lot, a lot of, of attention. Gonna, the, all, the highlights from this game will be on every major sports network. For a four and five Missouri team, because That's of what's happening. So seize the moment, right? Seize all you Carpe Diem. Hello. Sorry. Sorry well, to speak. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Sorry to speak Latin. Nostris Nocturnus. Uh, Own the night. Okay. Yeah. Kicks off at seven thirty Eastern. You guys, um, you still doing your show? Yeah, we're doing our show. And with all that football talk, naturally, we're going to do a basketball preview. That makes sense. BYU basketball tips off tomorrow, men and women, against Utah Valley. We'll have Dave Rose in studio to mm. talk about the health of the yeah. team. Cool. There's some injury concerns. Uh-oh. So who's going to play tomorrow now? Who's going to start? We ask the tough questions to Dave we'll, Rose. And we'll talk about the schedule. Uh, we'll break down the roster. Mm. And then we'll tell you, uh, what are the expectations for this team? Um, and we want people to weigh in as well on, on Twitter using the hashtag BYUSN. But what do you expect this team to do? It's weird to lose a score like Tyler Haas and think BYU gets better. But the idea is that BYU has 
more good players. They have depth. They more have balance. More, more big guys uh, to where they can win more games and actually play better defense, which costs them in the NCAA tournament. BYU is an elite offensive team. In fact, one of only two teams the last six years to be top 15 in scoring offense in the wow. country. Wow. With VMI. You just need a little D. Just need a little more defense. BYU's mm-hmm. mixed it up this year. More big guys. Nate Austin is back. Glue guy. You know what? Ask it's Coach Rose if he needs somebody. I can come. I can do defense, too. Okay. Yeah. They might need a defensive specialist. People are telling me I'm defensive all the time. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Matt, you are so defensive. I'm like, I know. Coach Rose doesn't even know it. So just ask him. We'll pass that along. We can't get him on our show. He's too into you guys. Hey, last thing before we go. Yeah. Never take the red line to Mattapan. Okay, i got to write that down. Okay. Never take the red line to Because Mattapan. never startle a man who's been in a chemical fire either. We, we did it. <laughs> my wife and I did it unknowingly, and then we went back and talked to my good friend who was a Boston native. He's like, oh, yeah, murder pan. Yeah. Oh, you mean murder pen? That's where He's all the like, people. Tell me you didn't go there. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, we didn't go there. You know, that's why they call it the red line. <laughs> <laughs> You're up to Worcester. Oh, I love. You didn't Worc- go to Worcester, did no, you? No, 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 no. I, I was Commonly stuck. Spelled as Worcester. Worcester. I was stuck in. Uh, <laughs> I was stuck in in Fenway, just with you know the team and stuff. Just you got to do what you got to do for you. It ain't easy. <laughs> it ain't easy. Well, guys, uh, if you want, um, you know, go watch my video. Uh, if you want some tips, we just we come by. Why we chatted? We well, you can watch it again. Oh, okay. You, you, you watch it's, it all it's day. VOD. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> okay, guys, have Always a great a show. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. Seriously, have Welcome a great back. show. And it's just, it's just hard to come back. I'm just trying to get caught. Balls down. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great show, gentlemen. See you guys. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. Oh yeah. See, they sounded like they were doubting my ability to go pro. Did you notice that, Ben? I mean, you, you're not a communications expert, but they sounded like they they didn't believe I could do it. I think they were a little bit jealous because they're like Was on a jealousy? sports show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they haven't even hit in the batting cages below. Yeah, yeah. But I but wicked smart. I mean, that really that that's exactly how they talk. You'll know that someday, Ben, when you get a car and you can drive out there. Um, did you hear Pizza Hut now has a tri-decker pizza box? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? We can't build our infrastructure in the country, but Pizza Hut can throw down a tri-decker pizza box. There aren't many things in the world that are better than a box of pizza, unless, of course, you have a box of two pizzas, five breadsticks, and a pizza so- and a chocolate chip cookie. Holy cow! The Tri-Decker, they're calling it. Pizza Hut debuted its triple threat box on Monday. A new design says it, it's aimed to uh, bring in the holiday season. The box, which costs around 20 bucks and about $5,000 in medical exams. But the cookie is the size of a pizza. <sighs> Man, it's uh, meant to give a whole new meaning to the term family size. Mm. Is it a family size? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Did you hear this one, too? This is kind of interesting. Target is facing some backlash over obsessive Christmas disorder sweater. They have an OCD sweater. Target is marketing one of the season's Christmas sweaters as ugly, and some customers agree, but perhaps not for the reason the retail giant had hoped. Target is selling the red OCD, obsessive Christmas disorder sweater, 
um, one of a line of ugly sweaters designed for the trendy holiday parties at which revelers don their dullest duds. But many consumers are upset by the message, making light of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which affects about 2.2 million American adults. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, they say it's not cute or funny. Hmm. That's true. But is it cute and funny? Apparently not. Let me check. Nope, it's not. It's not. And so uh, you, you can't win if you are, um, you know, you can't, if the coffee cup isn't right, people are mad. If the sweaters termed the wrong thing, it just seems like we're not quite in the spirit yet of Christmas. Maybe it's because it's, you know, just November. <laughs> Anyway, they'll keep trying. We always like to end the show on a hero story. Our uh, hero today is Micah Spear, Seattle garbage collector. The Seattle trash collector is being hailed for his integrity after returning a bag containing $12,000 in checks to a local elementary school. Micah Spear from the King County Waste Management Company told ABC News he spotted a bank bag in a pile of scattered trash at about 7.45 a.m. on October 26th. A slip inside the bag said the checks were for a recent fundraiser held at the Lawton Elementary School by the school's parent-teacher association. The money was for various items such as school and art supplies. After making multiple phone calls, Spear said that he finally reached the principal who told him a member of the PTA accidentally dropped the bag in the trash. The garbage man, who has been with waste management for years, said Principal Dorian Manza met him on the trash route took out his wallet and offered to personally pay him back for returning the money. Spear declined. The only thing that crossed my mind was who did it uh, belong to and how to get it back to them, Spear said. It doesn't really take much effort to do the right thing. It was no sweat off my back. So Micah Spear, Seattle Garbage Collector, you are the hero of the day. Folks, it's just that simple. Doing our job and doing it with the right heart, the right intent, the right motive. That's what it's all about. Uh, That's the reason we do the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Three hours of ideas, tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Until tomorrow, my friends, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.